You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. In a world filled with cigars, craft beer, comics, movies, and video games, only two men are brave enough to search out all things nerdy. It's the Cigar Nerds Podcast! And welcome to the Cigar Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Smokin' Joe. I'm Brad Jackson. And we're back from Dragon Con. It's been nearly a week. I think my voice has finally recovered. Any uh, <laughs> any con crowd or anything Just your way? the usual amount. A uh, little bit of uh, sinus infection. No, no plague. None of that stuff. I think that was just because, like, the last night, we're like, it's the last night, so we're going all the way up and just went, you know, out to four in the morning drinking whiskey and screaming at, at concerts. Yeah, we were supposed to do that Saturday, and we kind of failed. <laughs> we made it to, like, two, <laughs> I think. So, uh, this week, we are smoking the Nica Rustica Adobe from Drew Estates. This is kind of an interesting cigar because, uh, I don't know if you may have seen on our Instagram or whatever, uh... Drew Estates did this thing called the Live Life Loud event where you bought this kind of package and it came with four uh, unbranded cigars. It was like an unreleased mystery smoke. And then when you tuned into the live event, they revealed what the cigar was. And turns out that mystery smoke was this Nica Rustica Adobe, which is now out to the general public. It uses an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper over Brazilian binder and fillers from Nicaragua. And it's available in three sizes. I'm available in three sizes. No, I'm not. I'm not a cigar. I lied. Small, smaller, smallest. <laughs> Some of us would be happy just to be a small cigar. <laughs> uh, for me, this is kind of a little... I do like Habano and the you know Ecuadorian Habano... A little more spice, I guess, but it's also kind of what I would call a medium cigar for my, not something I would smoke on a day to day. It's a little, little mild for my palate, but there's enough there that it's like, mm, yeah, this is an interesting. So would you consider this a nice little wake and bake? Start your day off? Yeah, we could do a breakfast smoke on this. It, it's not going to like burn you out for, uh, or like, you know, after dinner coffee cigar, wouldn't you, you know, where you're not, uh, you know, you're not smoking on a. You know, full stomach where you're like, oh, I can't, I can't handle a 770 at uh, <laughs> with this. But you gotta get your weight up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's uh, what's the guy from uh, the cigar group? Is it Jason Turner that always smokes like the nine by nineties? Yeah, the, like the most six hour outrageous. Uh... <laughs> the dude does not believe in a quick smoke. It's like, nope, my day is done. I'm gonna smoke this all day. And you know, speaking of which, because this is the Dragon Con episode, shout out to the. Uh, dragon con cigar group and all those guys and we'll kind of talk more about that once we get into the main segment but one thing that'll help you get through your dragon con strikeforceenergy.com use your promo code cigar nerds for 20 percent off your order you gotta stay caffeinated when you're drinking and smoking and not sleeping for four days in a row and with that it's time to slay the dragon Who is that a 
Con. <laughs> we have entered the dragon, or maybe the dragon entered us. I don't know. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. We uh, took a year, well, actually two years since it was canceled year before last, and last year we're like, man, we missed a Dragon Con. Let's not worry with the reporter duties. Let's just take a year off, relax, hit a bunch of panels, do the traditional Dragon Con thing. Dude, I think that was the first year I've attended a panel. Well, I, I I take that back. We did, you know, the year before we did make the um the panel with uh the actor that played Chewie. Oh yeah, the uh yeah. Oh crap! I'm blanking yeah, on his name now. I, yeah, but... I told her they wasn't prepared to name drop there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We went to the Chewie panel, and I mean, most of the time we end up not going to a whole lot of panels. We usually hit the parties and the Dude, the concerts I, and shit. I, but you know, Dragon Con for me is all about the people watching. Yeah. Like, I mean. You know, people's like, there's no possible way to see everything at con, and I'm like, that's why I'm not going to, you know, lock myself in a room, you know, unless it's a concert or a party or something that I'm looking to attend, but, you know, by and large, like, I want to find a spot, post up, mingle with folks, and, you know, just people watch. Yeah, I think... And be envious of all the creators that, you know, are much more talented than myself. (laughs) Yeah, I think, and it and it wasn't for like lack of having time because I think most of our reporter duties was on Saturday morning, so I had plenty of time. But I think I only went to two panels this year because I was having so much more fun just walking around and talking to people, like and just watching the costumes and stuff. It was much more, I guess, a social event this year than just going to see various panels. Well, that was the thing is, you know, I, I'm. I think I'm officially getting old because I'm starting to see, you know, the psychology of what social media is doing to the mass of people where they're more focused on social media and everybody else's opinions more so than forming an experience for themselves. Like I heard so many complaints about the vibe of con being off this year and everything else. And I'm like, the only vibe is you're paying too much attention to, you know, social media and the bitching and everything else than coming out and experiencing it firsthand in person and making that's that's the beauty of Dragon Con is you truly make it what you want it to be about. You know, if you're the type of person that wants to hit panels, yeah, there's so many freaking panels going on that you're not going to see everything, but you know, that can be your focus. You know, for me, it's interacting with like-minded geeks and nerds and you know just having a good time and oh yeah and like this year especially it was like i ran into so many people that i probably haven't seen since before the plague like uh like i i probably hung out with like five or six of my old like netherworld buddies that i haven't seen since i retired from like haunt acting and like yeah like you know spent a lot of time with those guys and and just and then 
meeting just strangers out on the smoking deck and having like great uh, conversations, which reminds me that kid that comes up to us every year to ask us about cigars. I saw him like Sunday night after you left. He's like, Hey guys, I've been, I've been looking for you guys. I'm like, Hey man, how's it going? Like, it's like the same dude. That's the only time we see him. And I cannot remember his name, but it's like every year, this one kid finds us like at the smoking deck and like asks us a bunch of cigar questions. And it's like, secretly it's a different person. We just assume it's the same. (laughs) Uh, uh, And it's like, and maybe it was because I know last year the, there was the statewide mass mandate. So no matter where you went, everyone was masked up. And I don't like talking when I have a, a freaking mask on. I and I can't hear other people talk to. So I guess I was less social last year and spent a lot of time going to panels and stuff. The only really socializing we did was when we stopped for a cigar because you know the smokers weren't masked. But this year it was a lot more relaxed. I think you only had to mask up when you actually went into a panel. So it was a lot more like, oh, well, I, I mean that was I can recognize is, the people I'm looking for, and you know, so <laughs> many people were, you know, like. I get it, you know, you do whatever you want to do for your own personal safety, your guidelines, whatever, but so many people, you know, unfortunately think that Dragon Con has control over the entire downtown block, and it's like, that's that's not the case this year. Like, <laughs> no, it's like... You, you know, you've got major sporting events, you've got so many outside people that aren't related to Dragon Con, like... Unless you're in a panel or a official Dragon Con sponsored thing, like unfortunately Dragon Con can't enforce anything. And I, I saw so many people like, Oh, well I'm so glad I didn't go this year and blah 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 and it's like you know, whatever. You do what you feel comfortable with. But yeah. for the rest of us, we're gonna have a good fucking time. Exactly. I mean hell you know, I seen people like, Man, I took every precaution and I still got sick and I'm like, dude, I took no precautions. I was sharing flasks with strangers and I Hell, I got a sinus infection. That's like the worst that happened to me, you know, but I knew the risks, you know, and I was and like, I mean, I'm going to have fun. I think that's the thing, you know, is understanding, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, to each their own, you know, it, it, who, who am I to say? I'm, I'm probably realistically like as many people as I've been around that at some point tested positive for COVID. I'm probably that asymptomatic asshole that just passes it <laughs> to everyone, but you know, Never shows any symptoms themselves, but but you're right about if the freaking social media because like yeah like if you just watched what was going on in the uh, Dragon Con Facebook groups, man, there was like people on one side bitching about something, people on the other side of bitch about something. everybody bitching about oh man the the Hilton's price gouging and whatnot, which hundred dollars for a burger that's kind of ridiculous. Well, but you I don't mean, have to freaking I, buy it. I, I will say, and as much time because that's normally where we go to smoke. I didn't have any negative experiences in the Hilton. Like, so that being actually out on the floor and interacting with the people, everyone seemed like, you know, if you just looked at what was on social media, you'd be like, oh man, it's like a dumpster fire this well, year. I, but I, I didn't see any of that. In so my I think maybe what happened was it's my understanding that Hilton is under new management and everything else. Now, chances are they probably did not realize what dragon con is and the type of you know crowd where you know atlanta you know gets dubbed right like oh i'm gonna hang out with rappers at the nightclub i want the bottle (laughs) service i want this like i get it dragon con's in atlanta but dragon con is not to be that exclusive 
oh, I'm going to be VIP, just bling, bling. Like, you know, somebody, I think, missed their mark. They realized they missed their mark. And as the weekend progressed, like, they're like, no, we, we want Dragon Con. And- yeah, because, I mean, because at first it was the, they took out all the hotel seating, which I think they're the only hotel that actually had seating, has ever had seating. But they brought that back, like, the next but day. But at the same time, like, complained. Marriott, like, up at the Pulse Bar and everything else, they've been doing the same shit for years. Yeah. If you go to the Marriott, not during Dragon Con, there's tables everywhere. Yeah, it's like- Now, granted, during Dragon Con, I can get it. That's more space for more paying Patreons, and, you know, people are wanting to mix and mingle and shit, so, I, you know, I, I just think that, you know, unfortunately, you know, the type of crowd, you know, Hilton, you know, don't get me wrong, like, I'm sure, like, I, I saw people, you know, posting, hey, I bought the burger, why? Because I can, and to try it, whatever. It's and- a story. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I did see someone who, because it started off like, I think it was like $150 for a booth, and then they changed it to like a $10 cover charge. So somebody actually went up there, and there was like nobody there. It was well, it I was mean, empty when they filmed that even, video. But, even, you know, but then again, I'm, I'm going to put on my marketing a, brain. If I hadn't seen a flyer for that, I wouldn't have known that there was a rooftop bar at the Hilton. Because I never go to that. Like, I'm, I'm on the floor with the people. That's where I hang out and party uh, during Dragon Con. I had no idea there was a, a rooftop restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I think I've gone to Trader Vic's once. You know, it's the most time it's like, nah, it's like, we're eating in the food court and we're drinking with the people. <laughs> yeah, that one year at Trader Vic's and it's like... <laughs> Oh God! There was so much smoke. <laughs> yeah, that was the first year of, or no, it was the second year of the uh, Dragon Con cigar meetup. And hell, you know, unfortunately, you had some work stuff and didn't get to stay for the entire con. So me and Amanda went to the uh, cigar meetup, and man, we took. I think it didn't seem as crowded this year. I think the uh, the phone booth actually like capped attendance at some point but didn't but they then open they, up some different yeah. areas and stuff for you guys normally we're, we were just on that kind of that upper level but they opened up like the vip section in the back for like overflow and that's where i ended up sitting was back there behind the humidor and that's a cool little area i mean they got couches they got like fireplaces with tvs and they were playing old silent films on the tv that was kind of cool so they were freaking you know smoking a cigar watching some old silent horror movie i'm like this is kind of cool back here in the back here in the uh, the VIP uh, area. And you were just knocking the Hilton in their VIP experience. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't charge me extra for <laughs> phone booth VIP. <laughs> yeah, I got to run into like we said Jason and uh, um, Matt Flanagan and of course uh, Ignacio who puts this whole crazy thing together every year. And like I said, it was the. I mean, you're going to pay a premium for drinks and cigars, but you're going to a premium location. You're paying for the atmosphere. But you know that going in. I mean, I paid like an extra $9 I mean, and, for my cigar that I... <laughs> and a shameless plug, I will say that out of, you know, any bar or establish, establishment that I've been to, they probably have some of the best mixologists in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, the drinks are... I mean, you're going to pay $17 for a drink, but they are fucking amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I think I paid $19 for a cigar I buy for $11 at home, but that's you're paying for the uh Dude, I've been into shops that, that, you know, didn't even have that atmosphere that would try to do that, you know, like Yeah, if I go to some like hole in the walls shop and it's like double what I normally pay, I'm like, 
eh, but this place, I'm like, all right, yeah, I get it. This is kind of a, this is not your everyday smoking Well, location. it's not just, hey, I'm going to a cigar bar, right? Like, it's a legit place that you can take a date, share some really good drinks, some really good food, and you know what? Cigars are just part of the, you know, the ambiance. Yeah, and they... Speaking of Jason and his giant cigars, that was one of the raffle prizes. It was one of those like nine by ninety all day smokes. I did not did not win an ashtray this year, which is the running joke. Me and Brad always win ashtrays, but I didn't win anything this year. But they gave that, that and they gave a uh, limited edition uh, Zycar cutter that was titanium. I think they only made like five hundred of them. It was like some stupid expensive cutter. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. But yeah, if I'd got that freaking giant cigar, I would have just gone on YouTube live streamed and be like, all right, y'all are stuck with me as long as I'm smoking this cigar. <laughs> I don't think See you've got I enough puke. memory or battery to record the entire duration. So I just go Facebook Live and we'll see how long this goes. It's going to be like one of those like 20-hour YouTube mixes. <laughs> to just repeat puffing. Oh. But um that makes my lung hurt. Yeah, I'm like, man, I've smoked like a 2-hour stick, but like a 6-hour, 8-hour smoke, I'm like, dude, I don't <laughs> don't have the stamina for that. No, I mean, we did that Southern Cigar Festival a number of years ago. and I smoked a lot of cigars like in a day, but dude, yeah. one cigar for that long, I'm like, I don't know. if. I mean, if that was uh... a good 8, 10 hours, and I think maybe 30 minutes of that we didn't have cigars. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe uh, yeah, it, it's possible. But <laughs> that and thing, too, it's like I bring way more cigars than I normally would to Dragon Con because I know I'm going to smoke. Because I don't know what it is. Maybe it's my age. I can't sleep late. Like, no matter how late I go to bed, I wake up at, like, 8.30 in the morning. So I'd get up at 8.30. Hell, I'd get dressed. I'd go down to the pool, have a breakfast cigar before I, you know, by the time I finish my cigar, it's like, all right, maybe the roommates are awake and ready to get into shit now. And it was nice and peaceful. Like, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning, there's, like, nobody out there except for the the people cleaning up the uh, garbage from the night before. And even some of them walked by and like, Oh, you're smoking a cigar. Have you tried the phone booth? I'm like, yes, I have. I was there last night. <laughs> um, but that's one thing I love about dragon cousin. Cause if you've never been, it's everything's broken down into what they call tracks. And there's, I think 70 tracks. So if you go to your local comic convention, this is about like 70 cons all going on simultaneously. So no matter what your fandom is, you can find a panel or a track that goes to that. Or if you're just like, I want to go meet somebody from this show, they have those panels too. Or even if you don't want to go to a panel, they have the autograph hall or you can go, even if you don't pay for an autograph, you can go, mad. hey, look, there's that guy. Which <laughs> and that's usually one of the beauties of Dragon Con is you know it's it's not exclusive like a San Diego Comic Con or something no it's all like fan that. run like, it's not corporate you know this is you know truly a convention by the fans for the fans and you know like you said outside of you know the vendor hall and the autograph like once you pay for your you know your quote membership, you know, for the week or the day or whatever, like you have access to everything, you know, there's yeah. only, you know, certain, you know, things like night at the aquarium or something. Which... And they have some of the, like the make and take panels or, or like workshops. So if you want to actually learn about say voice acting, there's a voice acting workshop you can pay 
an extra fee to go to. But those are, there's not a lot of those. There's a few of those things that have like little upcharges, but for the vast majority, you're, once you pay the cost of a mission, you're in. And I got to say, uh, I believe we we're talking about, uh, Dan Carroll for media relation, his uh, press release, there was 65,000 people there this year, but it kind of seemed like things ran smoother this year than last well, year. I, I, you know, there were some things that I noticed that were a little bit off, which granted, I, you know, I know, I know some of the, they were short on volunteers, you know, and, and that's just, everywhere. Like yeah. you go to any restaurant or any establishment right now, everybody's short on employees. I don't know how people are making a living right now, <laughs> you know, with, but I guess for the vast majority, I, I think everybody understood that. Most people were well, kind of cool with having to wait a little longer. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, I, I, like I, said, I, I guess one of the biggest complaints I kept seeing was the line for the vendor hall. Yeah, that thing and is I, fucking ridiculous. But, but was but, it though? But we did. Was yeah, it? I've waited longer. So we were we waited in a long ass line, but we were in within what 30, 40 minutes tops. tops. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that's what people failed to miss was yeah. It, oh it was intimidating God. when you walked up, but it was moving fairly quickly. We didn't stand around for long. Yeah, unless I mean, you were one of the guys trying to get there like when it first opened, and you're waiting for the the initial run through, but. I mean, which I did the first day, which I accidentally snuck in line because I walked up right as they were opening and I guess somebody wasn't paying attention in line. So it was this huge gap and I'm like, oh, this must be the end of the line. So I got in line and then when I got around the corner of the building, I could see the ass end of the line all the way around the other side. I'm like, oh shit, I didn't skip in front of a bunch of people, but fuck it, I'm here. <laughs> I tried to walk to the back of the line. I was just mistaken. <laughs> but yeah, we went in the mid midday and we probably waited 45 minutes and that line was like around the fucking building. If, even if we did wait 45, it was probably maybe 30. Cause like I said, we got in fairly, fairly quickly. And once we were inside, we were able to move around. We wouldn't get like stuck in a bottleneck anywhere. I mean, it was, it was still run fairly smoothly. And in the year we decided to, cause we've been media for like five years at this point, I think this is our fifth one. So we haven't waited in the registration line in a long time. But I heard registration was little to no wait. Yeah. Like, uh, that's what I was about to say, because uh, my wife, I still had to get her badge. And the year that me and you went, and we we waited, what, fucking hour and a half or something like that. It was around the Sheridan, up a block, and then over another block. We were way up at the uh, Peachtree Center, I think, when we got in line. But uh, we're like, yeah, man, we're just going to be regular, get regular tickets this year. And then we got in that line, we're like, fuck this, we're going media next year. <laughs> but when I took her to get her, it was like halfway around the Sheridan, and she was in and out. It was like not long at all so i was like all right so even that's kind of uh sped up the process uh this year i don't know i i i i truly had no real you know quips or complaints or anything else but you know that's always kind of my mindset is you know i know with con like it's big there's a lot of people and to make the most of it, like, you know, if something falls through, it's not like, oh, that, that just ruined my whole weekend. I can't get past yeah, that. Yeah, I had I mean, no negative experiences. And it, I think it boils down to the people that get upset, they have time to bitch about it online. The people that are having a good time aren't fucking with their phones. Like, even because this is the first year that I've had a YouTube channel, so I brought my camera intending to make some content, and I forgot to record a bunch of shit just because I was like, having a good time and not thinking about, Oh yeah, I need to like generate content. <laughs> so it's like, I, you know, I'd like, yeah, recorded not nearly as much as I wanted to record because 
I was having a good time and just completely forgot to like, oh yeah, I should also film what we're doing here instead of just <laughs> doing it. I don't know. I was I was surprised. I, I didn't get in till Saturday morning, but you know, I was probably at the you know Peachtree Marta Center at like seven thirty in the morning. And was literally able to make it to the Hyatt, and I think maybe I crossed three people. Like, I expected with the parade, I'm like, this is going to suck. <laughs> and it did not suck. I was I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, you texted me, like, or, I, mean, I was just crawling out of bed, and you're like, I'm here. I'm like, well, shit, I'll be down in a minute. <laughs> yeah, I figure you're going to hit traffic, too. Uh, the big thing at Dragon Con, if you're not paneling, is the cosplay. So... Anything you saw that you were like, oh my god, that's fucking amazing. I gotta say, we always have this bed of like, what's going to be... Dude, we totally nailed it this year. What's going to be the the the, the outfit of the con. And it, by and large, was the freaking Hellfire Club Eddie Munson's. Like, hell, even me and you had a Hellfire Club shirt every night. I even started seeing variations of the Hellfire Club. Like, oh, there's Bebop and Rocksteady as Eddie Munson. <laughs> it was a... Even though, usually it's Deadpool, Harley Quinn's. I didn't see that many of either. Dude, they I were s- there, but I didn't see them in the I mass s- that I normally see. I, I truly saw three Harleys and maybe five Deadpools. I saw a lot of Poison Ivies, and that may be because that Harley Quinn show is like super popular. And I actually started watching that. It's funny as shit. Um, but yeah, there was a lot the of... inflatable dinosaurs. Yeah, there's always the dinosaurs. But, you know, I always dig the dinosaur. The dinosaurs almost have their own cult. I mean, know, as like... I'm losing weight, I'm so tempted to order me a dinosaur, dinosaur suit for next year. <laughs> one of us. One of us. <laughs> Especially the just... ones that are making the custom ones with the Marriott carpet-themed uh, dinosaurs. Yeah, and I think, like, it takes, like, a hundred people to go in, you know, to make a full order. Yeah, I, got, I saw somebody in the Facebook run. group saying, hey, we're thinking to do another order if anybody wants, <laughs> wants in. But, yeah, there was, like I said, I saw a couple pools and a couple uh, Harleys, but not nearly what we've normally seen. And maybe it's because it came out too soon for people, or too soon for people to really dive into it. I expected way more Sandman outfits. I think I saw three of the dreams from uh, Sandman, which if you've not watched Sandman, we'll, we'll maybe do an episode on that in the future, but it's fucking good. And I was not familiar with Sandman at all, but I only saw three of those those guys. I don't know. For me, um, as a big horror movie buff, um, I you know, it's crazy after Con wraps up and people start doing their photo dumps and you're like, you see all the shit that you didn't get to see in person. Yeah. And for me, there were a couple, you know, one really badass Leatherface. Um, yeah, last year there was a bunch of horror guys, but I didn't see that many this year. Or at least they didn't weren't where I was at. Because, I, I, I yeah, I've seen them in the photo dumps, but I didn't. I did see the guy who dresses Michael Myers with the ivy bush hiding behind it. Which is funny because I saw some video where he was kind of in an alcove and just had the bush and someone came up dressed as Edward scissors hands and was taking a picture, like trimming the bush. And then he just like creeps out from behind it. Like what you doing? <laughs> I was like, that's fucking awesome. Like those interactions, dude, that's what makes dragon con and the Indiana Jones and the temple of doom cosplayers. I saw when I came down to the, uh, Hyatt lobby and there was a guy dressed as the, uh, whatever the the voodoo priest from temple of doom 
and he had a girl in the little sacrificial cage, like they they, they lowered him into the volcano, tied up in that cage, dressed like uh, what's her name from Indiana Jones, and he was like holding a heart, going Kalima, Kalima, and I'm like, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> that and if anyone who's watched The Boys, there I saw several deeps. There was a ton of butchers walking around, which I had to get a butcher to call me a cunt. That was my my goal for the weekend. I mean. There was a bunch of butchers, not as many as the the Stranger Things outfits, but then I saw the giant dicked guy from The Boys, the one who has the tentacle dick. Somebody, and he was in the Hero Gasm episode costume with this giant fake schlong around his shoulders like a freaking scarf. I was like, "That's hilarious." <laughs> yeah, I you know, I don't know. I'm surprised there was no deeps with the hump and the squid. I did not see a squid hump and deep. <laughs> I was kind of disappointed. I've seen a picture of that at other cons, but saw a couple deeps, but none of, none of the squid humpers. That was, that was you didn't what I was keeping them, an eye out uh, Late enough at night. <laughs> yeah. Although I did see the one, you know, uh, I think it was Lilith, you know, and they full, you know, just body paint and pasties. There was, um, there was... A lot more skin this year at Dragon Con than years past. I, know, I saw a lot more dude skin than I did. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm just saying skin. I'm not, you know, I'm not putting a... Uh, Especially a... The, the weird pothead guy that we ran into, uh, which we, we've got a, a running joke at Dragon Con is if I, I don't understand the costume, it's probably anime. This year, we've had to add uh, TikTok to that anime because there was several things. There's a lot of these um, ladies dressed as mushrooms that I'm like that's got to be from an anime or a game and something. And then finally someone's like, Oh no, it's like a TikTok thing. I'm like, Oh, okay. And there's a thing called let me solo her where it's a guy who basically Twitch. If someone's having trouble beating a boss, he will go in and beat bosses for people. But his character is just a naked dude with a, like a pot over his head. And there was some guy dressed as that with like this little like cloth diaper looking thing and a pot over his head. Like elevator opens up and this dude's just standing by himself on a floor and like we're like, uh, come on in, dude. And like for this weird ass costume, it had a lot of work in it because we're like, how do you see? And he's like, oh, there's a pinhole camera here and I have a heads up display inside the pot. I'm like, that's a lot of freaking engineering for this like weird ass thing you're wearing. I mean, that's bravo, dude. <laughs> People take that shit seriously. Well, I mean, that's the thing is, I mean, you just never know, like, and, and that's what makes Dragon Con so great is it doesn't matter, you know, comics, music, video games, you know, TikTok. God, I just referenced TikTok. I mean, I even seen costumes that referenced memes. I mean, there's that one of, like, Bane from The Dark Knight, and there's, like, a guy in a pink uh, a body, like, Asian dude in, like, a pink bodysuit, like, giving him like the come on bro there was somebody dressed as the dude in the pink bodysuit i mean it was i was like man fucking memes are like a cosplay now and as many years as we've been going it's rare i see something i'm like holy shit that's badass and but it happens it, every year and it's usually like something like obscure or some cool mashup the one this year that i was just like most of them like, oh that's cool that's cool but the one that I was like oh shit was the people dressed as the guys from chips there was a guy, I mean, he had the full California Highway Patrol outfit with the motorcycle helmet and had like a fake front of a motorcycle, handlebars and everything, playing the Chips theme as he walked around. 
I kept passing him in the the freaking uh, habit trail, so I never got a chance to get a picture of him. But I even played like the chips theme, like bam, 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 bam. And I'm like, holy shit, Seven Mary Three! And he's like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I saw Doctor Stranger Things, which was the Doctor Strange cloak with the 11 pink dress and the eye of Agamotto was a waffle. <laughs> I thought that one was pretty. Did you, is there anything you saw that were like, you're like, oh shit, that's, that's fun. Only everything. <laughs> I don't know. For me, it's, you know, the people that incorporate their pets into cosplay, <laughs> yeah. like that's always really interesting. And I, I don't know, dude, like, oftentimes I just, that's really cool, have no idea where it's from. Like, yeah, I know it took a lot of work. <laughs> that's like, I, I love people's passion. I don't have the skill or the time to, uh, to do these things, but I love going and watching the people. And if you stop and talk to these people, they are more than happy to like, hey, this is what I did. This is where I found this and tell you about their outfits. Like, I wish we'd had time to interview some of these like cosplayers. Cause they did like, I mean, there was some amazing stuff. I saw a great, you uh, could just join the cosplay medics, dude. That way, you know, <laughs> yeah, those dudes I can't, like, I can't, you know, build a full on costume. Fucking heroes, but, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just wondering how many more cults, you know, are going to spring up now. Yeah. There was, saw the cult of John. Someone built uh, another offering for him. Everything had googly eyes. I saw a picture today that there's a guy who does a badass Hellraiser, and he actually has a motorcycle with a big skull on the front. He drives in the parade, and I saw it somebody parked. So my googly eyes his skull, and he's like, normally I'd be pissed off about somebody like fucking with my bike, but I expected this to happen. <laughs> he's like, got home and noticed it was googly eyes in the skull. <laughs> Hell, somebody even googly eyed the big like poop lion statue out front of the Marriott. <laughs> it's like, I wonder how long post con it takes the staff to clear all the googly eyes. Cause they got to be finding them for freaking weeks after the con. Like, God damn it. There's a googly eye in the elevator. We missed. I mean, that counts as swag, right? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing too, is, you know, I mean, there's, there's a whole group dedicated to, you know, just leaving swag in random places to find. Like, yeah, we had uh, Sunday night when we went to the steampunk party for a little bit. Walking back, somebody's like, hey, y'all look nice here, and hand us, like, an envelope that had, it had, like, a, it was a wax-sealed envelope with, like, like an actual stamp, like, wax stamp in the seal, and me and Amanda's both, like, had different seals on them, and then it was, like, some little piece of custom artwork someone had made in this envelope, it was, like, a little, a little, like, you know, here's a piece of artwork from so-and-so, I'm like, sweet. And I was like, yeah, and then, um, I seen people like little dragon statues, and I mean the whole what they call sw swag and sw swag and seek. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's people finding shit in pot pots out of the smoking area. It was like it's it it kind of a cool little little thing that's uh, popped up at con. Did see a great uh, if you watch the Black Widow movie, the white uh, snow outfits. There was a Black Widow and uh, her sister Yolana. And they, I mean, they looked amazing. It was, I was like, that's a, that's a badass uh, outfit. Oh, oh yeah. I saw a, uh, Michael Myers version of Eddie from when they stole the Winnebago. So somebody watched Eddie with the, uh, and I saw someone with this badass, like tentacled ball gown 
the with like the un, the upside down bats like flying over her. I was like, that looks took some work. <laughs> yeah, just that dress alone, like. I, I don't know. You know, I see stuff like that. It just blows my mind. <laughs> I did see a swarm of bats, too. Someone was dressed in, like, a freaking mocap, like, green suit with a whole bunch of those bats, like, flying over them with a sign that said, kill all the eddies. <laughs> Running around. Oh, and then we have the... The... Which I end up going more to than the uh, the panels is the concerts afterward. Freaking Dude, Cybertron the talent. spree, like, tore it up this year. <laughs> Yeah, they, I I don't, you know, I remember the first year that, you know, they were there and literally you you could walk in and there was like 10 people. But then word started catching on. This year, holy shit, dude. Yeah, like, the line was around the block and that was a that was that that felt like a true concert experience. Yeah, because we were like, oh, they're playing at 11.30. We'll get out of that and have plenty of time to make it over to MC Chris and Megaran. And fuck, that thing went long. We didn't leave that concert till I think, 1.30. And we're, by the time we're like, uh, you only we're going to make <laughs> MC Chris or Megaran this year. And then the Sunday night, because like, it's one of those Crux Shadows. is there every freaking year. I've seen Crux Shadows so many times that I have not been in years. They're always like by the Netherworld booth. It's like, but... This year, like, I ran to one of my old Netherworld buddies, and they're like, hey, we're going to the Crux Shadow show. I'm like, yeah, sweet, let's go. And this was Amanda's first time experiencing the Crux Shadows. She's like, oh, my God, why haven't I been to this show? There's hot goth chicks everywhere. <laughs> it's like, I'm, like, on the way home, she's, like, Googling Crux Shadows and, like, checking. I'm like, oh, I've, I've, I've made a new... Uh, You've created a monster. A new uh, goth electronica or whatever you describe their music. But they put on a great show. Like I said, it's been years since I've actually... It's one of those I've seen so many times. I'm like, yeah, I've seen that before. But it's been so long. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. These guys put on a damn good show. Yeah, dude. They they, they definitely got some talent. And hot goth girls in the band. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of my buddies is like, uh, actually knows the like, least. Like, oh, yeah, he's like a hell of a nice guy. When I was deployed in Iraq, like he wrote me and my guys like, you know, all the time while we were overseas, you know, and stuff like that. So he's like. Apparently does a lot of stuff like for the military and charities. And so it's like, he may be a weird goth guy on skate stage, but for all accounts, he's like a good dude in real life. I'm like, and that's one of the things about drag is just meeting random people. Like, uh, I think Sunday night, you know, I'm hanging out the Hilton smoking deck and some random dudes like, Hey, y'all smoking cigars. Y'all must be cool. Can we sit down with you? And we hung out the fucking, I told this guy about Jack Carr books. He told me about some, uh, book called Legion, We Are Bob, or something like that. I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. I'll have to check that shit out. And it's like, you you learn and meet so many people, like, just randomly at con that, you know, it's like a, a reunion for old friends and making, you know, new ones every year. And cause like I said, it's, it's to the point where we see people that we have only interacted with at con, but we see them every year. And it's like, hey, man, how's it going? How you been? You know, it's like, you know, truly like, you know, you're, kind of con family and it's it's uh i I like that it's kind of getting back to that it it seems like it's it's the social aspect is 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 coming back around absolutely yeah i'm i don't know i mean for me it was it was all around a great con i have no complaints i mean you know i wasn't at the hilton so i didn't have to bring a uh scuba suit (laughs) Oh, the memes of I saw one where it was like Waterworld, but it was the Hilton. Yeah, they had a pipe bust one night, and the eighth floor got 
<laughs> got flooded. Yeah, or, but the problem with that is gravity. So <laughs> yeah, it was dripping. Then I saw someone uh, Photoshop the water to turn it red, and it was like, you know, freaking uh, The Shining Part 2 or something like that. <laughs> Come play with us. <laughs> yeah, the, the Dragon Con uh, meme war is... Uh, <laughs> was uh in full effect this year speaking of which you know we are reporters and we got to talk to a lot of cool people that's one of the things about dragon Con. like i said you can find anything that fits your fandom and we get to talk to everyone from scientists to <laughs> Dude, ninjas. Dude, we talk to people that we absolutely have no business talking to. Oh, yeah, there's something, especially some of those science guys. I'm like, man, these guys are way too smart to be talking to me. And you fucker, you got to interview the <laughs> deception guy that I, I've been trying to interview for like three years. Yeah, there's, uh, and you'll hear the interview uh, either in this episode or next, because uh, that's something I knew. We you, normally just kind of give you a behind-the-scenes look. We get like 15 minutes with these people, and that's including setup. So maybe 10 minutes is what we normally get in an interview. But not only this year that we had uh, way more interviews than we normally have, everyone showed up early. So we end up getting extra time. So I think each interview was like 20 minutes, 26 minutes. We end up with like two hours of just interviews that we're going to have to like throw at you in the next couple shows. But yeah, there's one guy, you know, Kurt, uh, Kurt Anderson. Magician and also uh, studies the kind of like the scientific side of deception. We put him on the interview request one year and he didn't show up for the interview. So we we're kind of joking like, ah, you know, it's a deception guy. This may be part of his deal. So I kind of put him on the list like every year kind of as a joke to see if we actually get an interview with him. And he showed up this year. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and it was the, the time that Brad couldn't make that interview. I'm like, this is funny as hell. Like, this the guy we've been trying to get forever. Finally came in and Brad wasn't here to <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> but hell of a good interview. Like, I could have gone down the rabbit hole with that guy. He is way too smart to be talking to me. I was just trying to, like, you know, ask questions and, and seem like I knew what I was talking about. Because that, that dude is legit uh, very smart in what he does. And... Like I said, we probably going to talk to an hour from him. That's gonna, that's a, a great interview. But also, um, talk to Jim Cummings. You may know him as uh, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, or the other six hundred voices on his IMDb page. <laughs> and he was hilarious. I mean, he. I mean, he is. And the thing that amazed me about those voice guys, and I went to his panel like afterward uh, on Sunday is the ease that they can change voices. There's no, you don't see like a prep, like, mm, yeah, I got to stretch before I do that. No, it's like, just, you know, be in the middle of conversation. All of a sudden, like, Hey, here's Tigger. And then, and now he's Hondo Anaka. And it's like, and the, the Winnie the Pooh, it's like, he just like switches gears so easily where it's like, man, it's like, it, it's so natural to those people that it, it just kind of amazes me. The, the skill level. Akuna Matata. <laughs> That he had a, a line in, uh, we went to his panel, he was talking about Darkwing Duck. Cause he's like, I ad lib so much shit. He's like, hell, especially with Hondo, I don't think I said half the shit they wrote for me. But he's like, if you remember Darkwing Duck, it was always the terror that flaps in the night, some random thing that changed every single time, and then I am Darkwing Duck. He said, it got to the point that when I got the script, it said, 
I am the terror that flaps in the night. It doesn't matter what I write here. Jim's going to say whatever the fuck he wants. I am Dark Bean. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's hilarious. Oh, but yeah, we talked to so many people that y'all will, y'all will get to hear in the, you know, a few of them this episode, a few of them next episode. But yeah, it's like, I think we did way more interviews this year than we've ever done. And like I said, it was just lucky. Like every single one of them was showed up early. So we got way more time than we normally do and still felt like, man, I got so many other questions I want to ask these people. Uh, and even like, uh, it probably won't be probably, uh, the, um, Roy, uh, uh, Wilkinson, the ninja that's at every dragon con dude. I was like, man, I like, I could go down the rabbit hole here. And he's like, Hey man, yeah, we're both in Atlanta. Like hit me up. We can do another, we can do another interview later on if y'all want to. So at some point I'm going to try to maybe nail him down and do like a, just a full, yeah, I would love long to interview with that guy. And, you know, check out, you know, like we've seen the demonstrations that they put on, you know, during Dragon Con and stuff like that. Um, and such a nice dude in person because you never, Con, you like, never know. And I'm like, so before the interview, I'm like, hey, do we need to call you like Grandmaster or something? You know, do you have a title you want to shoot? He's like, no, I'm just Roy, man. I'm you know, low key. I'm like, sweet. You know, it was like, I said, you're very nice dude in person. Uh, uh, but they, yeah, that was fun. And like I said, the, the, the it's always the science people that are way too smart to be talking to us that I'm just like, man, this is like where else would we get to sit down with the CEO of a aerospace company? And just ask random stupid questions about space. It's like fucking dragon gone, man. That's, Does that really smell like burnt steak? <laughs> I mean, hell a couple years ago, we interviewed Cybertronic spree. I'm like, where else would we get to like talk to the bots, you know? And, <laughs> You can talk to the bots on every Russian website ever. <laughs> Speaking of which, Unicron's new uh, new guitar. What'd you think about that thing, dude? Amazing. <laughs> I don't know. I I just recently have got into more the seven string world, and I have not ventured to the to the eighth string. But you know, just the fact that you know, yeah, custom he Luthered, you know, that he... his own guitar and everything else. Like, dude, that's. That's amazing. <laughs> so is there anything we didn't get to see this year that you're like, man, I wish I'd have made it to that one. So I, I think I would have really liked to have seen Mega Ran. Yeah. Um, Cause I've seen him in Atlanta. I, and I'll even, I'll even go as far to say I, I saw that, him at the masquerade. It was a good show. Know, MC Chris. I've seen him a few times and I always like the MC Chris shows more at Dragon Con style environments than his own stuff because you know sometimes you just get a podcast, other times <laughs> you get a concert, other times you just get you know whatever ramblings he feels like giving at that moment, like you know um, whatever. It's his yeah, show. Sometimes he, it's hit or miss. When he's on, he's on. But then there's other times you're like, ah, dude, like. <laughs> but you know, I, I'm I'm there for the music and everything else. Like you know, like I. And even artists that, you know, I even agree with politically or, you know, whatever, like, I'm here to see you perform. I'm not here to conversate. Like, you know, if if we want to have a conversation, great. Come on the podcast. Let's conversate. But, you know, I bought tickets for a performance. I expect a performance. Like, you know, that's, <laughs> I guess, you know, that's that's the asshole type person I am. Like, <laughs> I get it, you know. Everybody's got a life outside of the stage, but um 
I don't one... know. I mean, you know, the the last few years, maybe this is me getting old, but you know what I want to do at con is just fucking relax and people watch. Yeah. Like that's what makes Dragon Con like interacting with those folks like you were talking about that you interact with only during Dragon Con or whatever. But you know, I have a feeling next con's going to be vastly different for me because, you know, it's the first time somebody showed, you know, hey, I think I would like to go that with you and, you know, people watching stuff. Great. We'll see what that does to the dynamic. <laughs> uh, no, I'll tell you, I never made it to the Weston this year. It was like Weston was the one hotel I never made it to this year. Dude, I don't, we, I mean, I didn't step foot in the Sheraton or the Weston. Yeah, I went over and, there for that you know, steampunk most, party, but that was the only time I made it to the Sheridan other than most uh, of the, getting badges. I don't know. For some reason, like, most of the time, I don't find myself in the Western or the Sheraton as much. Like, the Apocalypse Rising tracks over in the Western, I usually try to go to some of their panels, and there was one panel that I really wanted to go to and just end up not having time was they did, uh, I think it was called, like, Spooky Time or Spooks and Songs or something, where they had couple authors come in and tell ghost stories and then they had like the kind of the goth band uh uh valentine wolf doing like spooky songs to go with their with their ghost stories they were telling i'm like that would have probably been fun but i think i got wrapped up in doing <laughs> something else i think rocky horror picture show this year would have been a blast yeah those guys because they were in the same room as uh cybertronic spree so i know the spree went late i don't think those guys got in there till like 1 so that was, must have been a <laughs> hell of a show. Because uh, I talked to one guy on the... Hell, speaking of running into people I never ran into, on the way home Monday, I ran into another old Netherworld guy from Marta that on Marta that I hadn't seen. And he was telling me, like, oh, yeah, Rocky Horror Picture was, like, awesome. But it was, like, it ran super late getting in there. And, like, I don't think I got out of that panel till like, 3 in the morning or something. <laughs> uh, I know, like, I guess it was, like, Sunday night. We went hard, and it was, like, 4 in the morning. And we're like... Just making it back there, and be like, yeah, we're probably gonna go wake up our roommates. And we were the first one in at four in the morning. We're like, damn, are we the old ones? We came home at four, and there's everyone else is still out and <laughs> getting into shit. Ah, they they were at breakfast. <laughs> they had already gotten up and headed out. Oh, uh, well, I think that's about all we got for you this Dragon Con. Last Dragon Con. We're gonna do it all again. And we got uh, our interviews coming up, so stay tuned for those. Here with uh, 
Magician Kurt Anderson and uh, Dragon Con panelists. How's it going, sir? Man, what a great weekend. Love it. Love yeah, it. Every year. And you've, you've been coming for a while. How, how many Dragon Cons have, uh, Ooh, have you done at this 1990, point? 1990. <laughs> uh, every year. So this is, what, 32? Yeah, I think so. Because it's like, I don't know, it seems like it's all blend together with, like, you know, the last couple weird years. And it's right. like, I'm not sure what year it is Right, anymore. right. Yeah, even the pandemic uh, was part of the live stream. Did several panels and and so I so I count that year. Yeah, I think we uh, watched a lot of panels, but we didn't get to <laughs> participate well, there's, there's so much. much content, right? Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, the Dragon Con. It's like you know, if anyone who's not come, it's pretty much seventy conventions going on simultaneously sure. for an entire weekend. Uh, so, magician, how did you? How did you start that uh, yeah, career so path? Yeah, so you know, I went to my dad took me to a magic show when I was a kid, and I went, oh, that's amazing. That's what I want to do when I grow up. And my mom said, wait, you you want to be a magician when you grow up? And I said, yes. Yeah. She goes, well, you can't do both. And I'm like, <laughs> well, uh, pick the magician thing. And so I, I started practicing magic tricks. I did my first trick at seven years old. I did my first paid show as a birthday party at eleven years old, and I found a magician who was willing to take me under his wing and, and teach me the craft. At 13, I was on the road all summer long and doing shows on the weekends over like a five-state area. And then I started out on my own at 16 years old. And I, I went into college, a communication major, and hoping to be a magician one day. And I left my junior year to do a 21-show tour in Costa Rica because I was young and thought, well, this would be my only chance probably to perform outside of the U.S. Uh, still wanting to be a professional magician. So I took that and I ended up booking a whole bunch of shows to pay my bills during the rest of the semester which spilled over to another semester and another semester, and 30-something years later, I was still on the road as a magician. How does the communications degree, How I mean, is, if say someone who is wanting to follow your, wanting to get into magic, I mean, all of us bought one of those cheap magic uh, sure. things as a kid and wanted to do it, but then, you know, few people actually have right. the talent and the dedication to follow down that path. Is a communications degree uh so it's, it's weird. So I didn't actually finish my communications degree until COVID hit, right? So Free I, time. <laughs> yeah. So I was doing a lecture on deception at the University of Alabama in the communication department. And when COVID hit, the professor there said, hey, you know, you're not the type of person to just sit around. This thing could last a few, few years. You only have one year left in your degree. You should go back and finish. So I did. And I, I really studied human communication deception during this time. And during this period of time, I learned that the world's foremost authority in human communication with a specialization in deception was running the communication department at UAB in Birmingham, Alabama, which is only 45 minutes from my house. And so I stopped by to talk to him and he said, hey, when you finish your degree, we will pay for your schooling, we'll pay you to teach, we'll give you a scholarship and a stipend to cover your expenses if you'll get your master's degree here. So I am I'm now, I kind still do magic. Kind of a fortunate uh, trick there. <laughs> right? So I, I still do magic. Uh, they allow me to go and, and do shows, just like this week. I'm here the entire weekend. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually advancing my education and working my master's degree and um, teaching other people about communication and about deception and really trying to position myself to – to open the world up to understanding how it is that people are deceived so they can protect themselves, not only from the experience I have as a magician, but from the academic aspect. Mm -hmm. So academia approaches things in a very scientific way. You know, we have this set of protocols. This is what we know. This is what the evidence shows. Here has how we gather information. 
And then what does that tell us? That's great. And there's things that that can tell us that as a magician, we don't think that way. We go do something. If it fools you, we try to do it better. If it doesn't fool you, we don't do that anymore, right? So it's kind of like this. Um, a friend of mine, Brian Brushwood, who's uh, a magician as well, he says it's like you know 18th century, 17th century farmers where they go out and they just plant stuff, and if it grows, they just replicate that until they kind of get better at things. You just like, do it by intuition, right? I didn't want to plant corn, but corn grew, so corn I'm grew a corn farmer than, now. Yeah, right, so now I'm a corn farmer. Um, and so they kind of got intuition, and they start to, the more you do it, the more you get better at, you just learn stuff through trial and error. That's how magicians generally approach the craft. But we've learned things. There's things that we do that we, we know work. We don't necessarily know the science behind it. Well, I found there's really no overlap in those two fields. Really? In the academic field, there's never been anybody in the communication. Now, there are some people in the psychology field, but in the human communication department, there's really nobody that um, has, for example, a PhD that spent most of their life deceiving people, right? Unless they get into politics. Unless they get into <laughs> politics, which then they're not going to go back to teach, right? Not no. full time. Um, so I was like, I could be this bridge between these two worlds. And so I spent my Christmas vacation in Vegas meeting with all these Las Vegas strip magicians, some of the most famous, well-respected magicians in the world, and just sitting down and talking to them with how do you fool people? What is deception? And, and surprisingly, all of them had different answers. So we're talking about the best of the best, and they all approach it in a different manner. Yeah, right? I, I love that about ma the magic uh, is such a diverse skill because there's people that are – lack of a better term like prop guys that are it's right. all about telling and then there's guys that are like it's just the psychology like with you know, talking about deception where it's like given the illusion of choice right where you know you're sure. gonna do what i want you to do exactly but you're gonna think it's your idea and exactly. <laughs> right and they're like oh man how'd you guess that i'm like because i knew you're gonna answer it before i asked the right <laughs> question. right so there's there's different approaches there's different styles and there's room for all this but at the heart what i'm trying to find out is if Mac King, who's one of the greatest comedians that's a magician, um, if he says, when I create a trick and I'm trying to fool people, I do this and this and this and this. Now, I'm not talking about, well, you know, I make sure that I put my hands here and that I'm going to take a coin and I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm talking about the general build of a deception, right? Um, I think about what will the audience think when I'm doing this. If I'm going to make something disappear, where will the audience think it's going to go? So why would they think that? So I think about those things, and then what do I do to keep them from thinking that? But then I talk to Jet McBride, and he's like, oh, magic is this fluid thing that we all just share. And so I don't think about those things. I think about how can I take the audience through an experience that when they get done, they're left with a sense of wonderment. And so I think more along this line, and, and I have an internal dialogue with my props. So if I'm going to make a ball disappear, I don't make the ball disappear. In my mind, I ask the ball, where would you want to go if you could leave this earth right now? And so he tries it like, okay, if, if I was really a magician, how can I make that happen? And so his approach is completely different, right? It's kind of like with you know comedians or even musicians where they're pretty much all either playing music or telling jokes. But how they do it, that's where the art is because right. everyone does it, you know, not right. the same way. Everyone has their little nuances. Right. To it. But if you go into a university and you say, oh, I want to I want to take a class on music theory, we go, okay. There could be a set syllabi. Right. Like, Forget all of that. <laughs> yeah. Here are these rules. Yes. Right? But here's where it gets interesting back again. You take this full circle, and every one of these top magicians seem to break one of those rules. Right? The greatest artists break rules, and they create something different. Right? Yeah. 
And so when you talk about style and, and so I, Lady Gaga, um, I, I heard a story from her. She was her dad was teaching her classical music, and she's like, "Oh, listen, what I can play." She play all this in like really like he had to kind of temper back from letting her know how amazing some of what she was doing was. He's like, "No." That's that's not you're breaking this rule, this rule, this rule. Let's go back to whatever. And he just kept pounding her in the you know, staying within the rules of how classical music was built, how you're going to practice, how you're going to do all these things. And she she started kind of resent him for it. And then at one point when she showed true mastery of all that, he goes, "Do you know why you mastered that? So now you know when it's appropriate to break those rules. Go break those rules." That. I love you said that because I'm a martial artist. I've been taking martial arts. And my instructor is always like, people are like, well, do I have to do it this way or can I do it this way? And they're like, yeah, that might work. But you've got to know how to do the technique before you can improvise the technique. That's correct. So you got to learn the rules before you know how and when to break them to fit. <laughs> so right. I'm like, so yeah, apparently that's I guess, goes across <laughs> several right. disciplines. So in the field of deception studies, we're still learning the rules at an academic level. Right, uh, we used to think that oh, if you watch somebody and they look up and to the left and they're remembering something, but if they look you know down, then they're trying to disguise their you know. Or um, if and that's still you're talking like interrogation them, classes I've taken about the the eyes. Right, and or fa you you face yourself yeah. towards the door because the fight or flight's taking, so you're obviously lying. And and we find that that is the case with some people, but not most people. So a lot of the research was flawed, um, and so because they didn't have a mastery of the concepts. You do enough research till you find something that supports your claim was pretty common in, mm -hmm. in early science. Well, the science of communication, human communication, is still a relatively young science. It's, it's progressed tremendously in the last 20 years and has had kind of this epiphany moment in the last you know, 10 years. Um, but now we're starting to go, okay, if, if you have a premise, so like my mentor, Timothy Levine, has a thing called true default theory. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I can take uh, videos and have people watch 10 videos of someone that's either telling the truth or telling a lie. And historically, if you just randomly select people and have them randomly watch videos of random people either telling the truth or telling a lie, across the board, uh, over like the meta-analysis of you know, thousands of people doing this, people are right on 54% of the time, which is just a little better than chance, right? So he said, um, all of this information that we've been teaching is wrong, it's flawed. And so he started to kind of dissect how they were doing things. Well, if you set up a lab and you set it up where it's very strict, right? Um, you can get, like if I know five of these people are telling the truth, five of them are telling a lie. If the first few obviously seem like they're lying, then I'm gonna guess that the next few are telling the truth and I'm more likely to get a better result. Mm -hmm. A lot of that type of science. Um, so then, is oh, like 2014, 2017 area, they started to find a lot of these studies were a lot of flaws, just the way it was designed. Started doing better studies, learning that people are just pretty much kind of randomly guessing whether someone's telling the truth or not. And then he ran across a way to prove the, the, the idea. He then put together a set of videos, and you could get anybody, like just a random sample of people from here at DragonCon or your yeah. audience, and show them these 10 videos, and they could tell 90% people are telling the truth or telling a lie. Hmm. And then show another set of videos to random sample to be 54%, right, in the money. And then show another set where it would be below 50%. And so what he did is he took thousands of videos and found the 10 people that were the worst liars <laughs> and showed those videos to people. Yeah, it's like, you, know, you 
doing a study to prove your point instead of just doing a study and seeing where it takes right. you. <laughs> so his point was that you can do the studies to prove your point, yeah. right? So this is where this field is kind of leading. And so you've got scientists who are going, okay, let's start breaking these, let's get real good ground rules. And on the opposite of the field is you've got magicians who are creating amazing deceptions and they know that they work, but if you ask them why, they couldn't really tell you from a scientific standpoint. And they might give you a very good answer, but not a scientific answer. So I thought, if I could learn how magicians do things and then catalog all these things and then code for where are the overlaps, then these are the areas that we could then take into a lab and study. If we do that, we know how the world's best deceivers deceive people, then we can teach people to defend themselves versus fraud and deception and so forth. And then second level, on my own personal interest, is I can take it back to the magicians and go, hey, here's why yeah, you're there's so good. A ton of people, because I'm from a law enforcement background, and a lot of guys like know that guy's lying. But when you ask how, I don't know. I've been right. doing this job 20 years. I know when someone's lying to right. me. So say with like, uh, the tricks of like, I know this trick will work on an audience, but as far as the explaining the psychology of this is why people right. react this way. Yeah, a lot of times it's like, you know, you discover it by doing it, but then once you get there, you're like, I can't tell you how we get it. <laughs> Got right. it. So it's, it's cool to see that there's someone actually studying that scientifically. Uh, I mean, we've got a couple more minutes here. Okay. Just uh, Because right now, like, you know, fake news and people being – influenced by social media both negatively you know is there kind of ways that you can detect a deception what's some defenses from being overly influenced by your social media if right. there's and that's a great come question. across anything it's so relevant right now it's so relevant we, we had this society where you know everything is set up to feed us what we want so the easiest thing for social media to do, particularly the way it's set up right now, is to give you information that reinforces what you already believe by it making a judgment of who you are. It creates an echo chamber. Exactly. And the echo chamber narrows the more you use it, right? Mm. So um, that's that, and there's enough information out there you can support anything you want to believe, whether it's true or not. So uh, to me, a very important thing is to try to disprove what you believe if you can go through and you go, okay, they, I truly believe this, right? So now let me go find out all the evidence that shows that I'm wrong. Yeah, and if you can come up with a whatever, an end of disputable thing. So it's like, yeah, I believe this. Let me see right. if I can prove that wrong. And then if I can't prove it wrong, all right, this is a solid right. argument. And then if you lay that not down next to all the evidence that you have for what you believe and, and try to truly evaluate it, right? Try to... Some of the biggest changes in my life is when I took something that I was 100% sure I was right about and tried to prove that I was wrong and found out I was wrong. And it, it's a terribly uncomfortable place to be. And not, not a lot of people want to be that uncomfortable, and I, and but I it's think, good for growth. I mean, yes, you need to. Yeah. I think to some degree some people can't Yeah. because there's some big things in life. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know, you know, how – out there we're going to get with you know thought experiments and things like with this podcast right because we're really about chill out and uh, we, yeah we right. go we smoke cigars and just talk crap so we, we right. go f every end of the spectrum right. it's <laughs> but let's say um for no particular reason and no particular support of any particular one you can go with religion right so if you look at religion and you say okay i'm going to lay down um all these things that i know about a religion i don't believe 
And then I'm going to lay down everything about a religion that I do believe side by side. And if I had nothing except those lists, and I'm truly trying to make myself independent, why does one list look better than the other? Right? So um, it forces you to understand and defend your position. Right? Um, another, another good example is having a talk with somebody, and they were, they were convinced that people are born either male or female. Now, their, their particular case was a religious-based case. Their religion told them, you're born male or you're born female, therefore you are male or you are female. And I'm like, so biological sex and gender, two different things. You can be born, and your, your sex can, can remain the same, but your gender can be different from that, can be mismatched. They're like, nope, you're either born male or you're born female, period. There's no, I'm like, okay. So there's intersex, which is a biological, provable, observable fact. There's some people that are born with both genitalia or versions of that. Most people don't realize that a vast majority of people who are intersex never know it because the changes are internal. So there are, there are many women in this world who are infertile because they don't realize that their ovaries have developed as much like a testicle as it did an ovary, and so they don't work. Um, without getting into yeah. all the biological An internal stuff. change, then an right. external change, so, so it's like don't you don't know, know it. Right. So, but there are people, and it's a very, very small percent, but still thousands or tens of thousands of people in this world that have both externally developed penis and vagina. All right? So that's not a male or female. So the basic premise for your idea doesn't hold up right there. I mean, even in nature, there's some, like, where... If there's too many males in a community, I think what was it frogs, or will change sex because that's what's needed to continue the right. Right. <laughs> well, they'll so discount it happens. that because, like, from a religious standpoint, you can say, well, you know, God made people different to dominate the world, so they they have a different set of rules. That that could fall within the guidelines if that's what you believe. Now, again, you you need to sort it out. There's a lot more to it than that. But if that's even if we given that, their basic premise of just male, just female. We have evidence, that substantial evidence, that they can actually go and see that doesn't fall within their base premise. So now, you know, you have to either accept that you believe something that's false or change your perspective. And then that actually leads to another question, another question, another question. Oh, yeah. And it's a difficult process. I know. my Kind of my philosophy is like I know there's certain people that no matter what you tell them or what evidence you pre present to them, they're like, I'm still going to believe this thing. Sure. And then I'm like, I don't have to engage with those people. I'm like, right. cool, you believe that? Right. Good on you. I'm going to go about my business because sure. it's not worth the effort to spend like an hour on the line like arguing with you because I don't right. agree with your opinion. I'm just like, cool, you right. believe you, I'll believe me. And we all go about our Yeah, day. and in our house we had this idea of It's like so many people are like so apt to argue these days. And it's like, dude, right. just let people do what they want. We had this thing of mutual respect in our house, right? Exactly. So um, – we don't have to uh, agree to respect one another and, and who we are. You know, I accept you for who you are, regardless of who that is, and regardless of if that you know agrees with me or, or my beliefs. Um, I was having a discussion with one of my children. I've got three sons, and one day he was probably four or five years old, and he said, "Dad, what do we believe about gay marriage?" And I said, "Ooh, great question. First of all, second of all." I really, I'm really glad that you feel comfortable asking me this because it's an important question, yeah. and, and you, you trust me. And I will try to give you the best answer I can, right? So I'm not being mean, but that question is the wrong question. 
So just because I believe something doesn't mean you have to believe it. Yeah, everybody got um, right? develop their own opinion. Right. My dad and mom taught me the best they could. There's things they told me that they wholeheartedly believed were correct. I later found out that they were incorrect. They didn't lie to me. They were just wrong. So I try to always tell my kids, look, I will tell you the best I know, but I'm not always going to be right. So uh, just because I believe something doesn't mean you need to believe it. But what I want from you is for you to be able to logically be able to tell me why you believe something and to support it with evidence. And not just memes, not just, you know, this whole group of people believe it, so I'm going to believe it, but actual, actual evidence. Yeah, so there's far approach, too many people that are like, I, well, I think this sucks. Well, why? It just does. Well, I, yeah, I mean, you look at it, it sucks, <laughs> yeah. right? Could right. be like some kind of like actual measurable, articulable argument of right. why this thing doesn't doesn't work or or whatever. Where somebody was like, well, I don't know, guys on the internet told me that was my opinion, so that's my opinion. Right. <laughs> so with my son in this particular case, I said, here's the two prevailing views. Some people believe that uh, gay marriage is wrong, and here's why, and here's why from a religious standpoint, here's why from a non-religious standpoint. And here's the evidence that they have. And other people believe that gay marriage is right. And here's why. And um, as far as I know, and this, maybe this isn't the case, but there aren't any religions, or at least major religions, that one of their tenets is that gay marriage is a good and positive thing. Um, but the evidence lies elsewhere. And so here's the list of evidence here, and here's the list of evidence here. And I'm sure there's more evidence out there that will support either of these. And so, you know, what do you think? And what do you find about this evidence? And, and so even at four years old, I laid this groundwork with that. That's amazing. I, I, unfortunately, I think they're probably fixed to come kick us out of the room, but I could literally go down this rabbit hole for, oh, for hours. Yeah. Uh, to wrap it up, um, one, uh, you do a lot with the skeptics track. What is the skeptics track at DragonCon if no one's you know, sure. participating so in that yet? The basic idea of a skeptic is that you don't just accept something that you're told, that you are skeptical, right? So you, you try to think these things over, and you try to make uh, good, positive, rational reasoning uh, as the basis for what you believe. And so in, in while I'm here at DragonCon, I, I am a geek, right? <laughs> you are my people. I am oh, a yeah. nerd. And we've got into these other things. We've missed kind of the fun part of this. But I'm going to talk about how you can learn to um, improve your analytical thinking and your skepticism by playing board games. I'm going to talk about how academics and academia approaches this and some of the problems with that. Because even science and academia has some issues that they just can't address. Um, and it's, it's a lot of it is we, no one's, no one, this is one of, this is something my dad taught me years ago, right? Nobody is 100% correct on anything. So if you think about it, we're all walking around with the wrong answer. We're just working with the best wrong answer we have right now. And figuring out how to ask the right questions. Right. So <laughs> ask the right questions to improve your wrong answer. All right. And last question, the easy one. Other than coming to your panels next year at DragonCon, where can people find you, follow you, uh, uh, check out your stuff? Yeah, so I'm, it's, so I'm a magician, and the first name for a, a magician that you kind of from years back in, in the English language was a magi. And so magic ends with C. My first name, Kurt, starts with C. So I went with Magi Kurt. So it looked like nice. M-A-G-I-C-U-R-T. And it was kind of this idea of magic Kurt. It looks like magic Kurt. And I thought it was clever and it's kind of confusing, I guess. So <laughs> it wasn't a great, uh, I, it, was, it was a lot more clever than I thought it was. But you can look up magic Kurt, M-A-G-I-C-U-R-T, on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. And you can follow me on, 
on the social media. Magichurt.com. You can watch me make a Ferrari disappear, hang from a crane, escape out of a straight jacket, that type of stuff. Nice. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, Absolutely. If you're here at DragonCon, definitely check out uh, your panels and check out your magic. <laughs> yeah, doing a, a big show at the Hilton um, Saturday night at 8.30. Uh, World-famous magician John Armstrong, who's Disney's professional magician for their cruise ships and uh, performed at the Magic Castle over 100 times. He and I will be doing a show tomorrow night, Saturday night, at the Hilton at 8.30. Sweet. Thank you very much. Great. And welcome back. Now we are sitting with Dr. John Bradford, uh, CEO of uh, SpaceWorks, uh, I believe. Uh, am I correct so far, sir? Yeah, <laughs> so what is SpaceWorks? What, what does your company uh, do? Okay. I'm assuming yeah. space work, but uh, what's the... Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. Uh, so we're an aerospace engineering firm located here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we do a lot of work for uh, Department of Defense and NASA and the commercial space industry. Uh, that ranges from um, we have a pretty good resume in the area of hypersonics, uh, high-speed flight. Uh, we also are uh, supporting NASA and commercial interests in space exploration, uh, human return to the moon, and on to Mars. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's a NASA kind of what the media tells has kind of stepped back from space exploration, and now it's gone into the commercial market. But in reality, it's just no, we're contracting out with with guys like you that are it. So it's all the work these commercial entities do, and are still kind of getting funneled through NASA and you know the government in in general. Sure, I think yeah, some of the guidance certainly is in terms of the general direction we want to go. But as technology has advanced and commercial capabilities or private capabilities have come along, uh, NASA is looking to uh, I think focus more on um, uh, kind of uh, further areas and um, things that we'll need to land on the moon, the landers, the surface systems, the infrastructure, or similarly on Mars and things like the launch system, how we're going to get there and some uh, propulsive capabilities, leveraging commercial interest in that area. So um, the other thing is, um, yeah, aerospace has been very typically dominated by government investment. You can almost trace every program, <laughs> some dollar back to the, you know, the government someplace. But there's been a pretty big uh, surge in uh, commercial um, private investment uh, in this area. So, um, you know, kind of started, SpaceX kind of proved that it could be done on a more commercial basis. And then you have companies, you know, you've got, um, High net worth individuals, of course, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos uh, pushing it. Uh, Paul Allen was very big, you know, uh, um, uh, had high interest in the space market. But now you have uh, private capital now coming in. So there's, you know, just hundreds of startups uh, focused in kind of niche areas looking to capitalize on a kind of future emerging space market. So what kind of is the, you know, we know the science and exploration, but kind of what is the business of space? Like what are we... What are we trying to profit of other than you know just research uh, getting up there and like where's the what's the kind of the direction the commercial market of, of space uh, is going sure yeah because no, we all want to take a space question. cruise at some point and yeah uh, do a <laughs> yes, yeah so there's definitely uh, we call them different market verticals that we think are going to be you know high value markets so um near term a lot of the interest is just in communications earth observation you know getting real-time uh, visuals or video of the earth and you, know, you can go now and order a picture at you know some spot on the earth and get it in almost you know real time stuff um, so you can do imaging and then there's a lot of that can translate to 
uh, agricultural benefits. You know, we can look at large crops areas and, and see from space, do they need to be watered? Are they, are they having problems there? So earth observation is kind of the near term, um, but people are looking for further, uh, you know, uh, further advances that um, are unique because you're doing things in space. So one of our areas is in um, bringing things back from space. So things that are uh, made in space or um, you know, biomedical or regenerative medicine. Uh, so those are still in a little bit of the research, but there's some interesting um, experiments and um, you know, we're optimistic in things like stem cells or where you can throw an organ in space. Um, things happen differently in microgravity than they do on Earth, so you'd have to go to space to do that. And we're hoping these markets will uh, create a demand for doing things in space that will bring, return products back, back to Earth. Because yeah, it's, I imagine it's incredibly expensive to get things to space and then also, you know, a rocket shuttle mission, whatever, to get up there and retrieve the thing. So y'all are working on trying to like, you know, um, what is that y'all, they're kind of like, you know, the doing to bring things back that are, that are like, you know, we're talking pods, drones, mm -hmm. yeah. all, all, all the things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's, um, there, on the kind of larger scale, there's a number of uh, systems for bringing people back. Now, uh, people have probably seen the um, you know, SpaceX Dragon capsule uh, that's operational, and we're all waiting for you know, Orion to do its first mission uh, with, uh, on the space launch system. Uh, Boeing has their own system called CST-100 that they've been developing uh, under a contract with NASA. And then um, Sierra Nevada, or Sierra Space now, has the Dream Chaser. And those are all designed for bringing people back. Uh, they can also support cargo. Um, but they tend to be beneficial at very high, high mass cargo. Uh, we have a lot of things. And those systems are still uh, relatively expensive to launch because of the safety aspects and the size of them. So uh, we're focused, uh, my company, on the smaller, uh, kind of smaller scale and things that are in the uh, you know, tens or hundreds of pounds, maybe 200 pounds type of range, bringing those back. But we want to be able to do it almost on a daily basis. So on demand, somebody makes something in space, uh, needs to return it. Uh, very quickly. Instead of uh, current tempo is probably every three to six months, you can bring something back. You know, we launch a crew up, then you're basically waiting if you have a product till that crew wants to return. So we're trying to uh, basically want to be able to do it on demand, for, so these researchers uh, can basically um, uh, innovate at a much faster pace. You know, it's hard when you're doing an experiment and you get the results six months later <laughs> yeah. to study it. So we're trying to you know make them um, be able to be as responsive as you can innovate in other industries. I can kind of return in, in the next gen of uh, experiment to like much quicker than, well, let's do this, let's wait three to six months, and like, all right, that happened, all right, let's make these changes and do yeah. something. Yeah. So yeah, that daily turnaround time, definitely gonna increase uh, kind of the evolution of uh, how quickly yeah. all that stuff gets done. Yeah, and you made a good point about the launch cost. It is still a fairly expensive venture to put something up into space. Uh, but that uh, has been what's changed probably in the last 10 years, primarily driven by SpaceX. Um, the launch costs have come down dramatically, and that's enabled now these markets to uh, be economically viable. In the past, it's been like, man, the, the launch costs were just killing it. Uh, so now that there's been a, a big um, reduction in those costs, we can start looking at other things to do in space. And now that there's kind of competition in the market, you've just seen this huge kind of like, I guess like explosion in the like a new space race going on like these days where cause there's so many companies working on things. It's like, 
hell, 10 years ago, we're like, we're never going to have people on Mars. Now it's like, oh, no, we're, we may have colonies in, like, the next four or five years. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, a, yeah, it used to be always like, yeah, we'll do that sometime down the road. And it's like, no, we're like March next year. We're, we're, it's like, yeah. oh, people are like, you know, putting stuff on the calendar now. It's, yeah. it's kind of an ins- exciting time for, uh, for space, uh, uh, flight and exploration. And I don't know, as a avid gamer, it's kind of a frightening time for me. I mean, this all <laughs> sounds like the start of uh doom. <laughs> Waiting for somebody to find that Hellgate on Mars. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, speaking of long-term travel, I, I on my research that uh, said y'all are kind of looking at human stasis for whatever long-term uh, space travel. Can you kind of explain a little bit about what what that is? I mean, all we know about that is what we've seen, you know, from like Aliens and you know these these sci-fi movies where like, all right, you go into this uh, pod and we'll wake you up in six years when you get to your destination. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, and that is the, uh, very much the uh, perception. Of- uh, but it inspires a lot for how we can, you know, what, what we uh, think it should look like. It's a matter of, though, how can we do it? So um, five, five years ago, I made a, uh, submitted a proposal to NASA. They funded to do an initial look at how could we do this, how could we put people in stasis for uh, you know, a trip to Mars, was what I had proposed. And instead of looking at science fiction, where you're doing like cryonics and freezing people or uh, have some kind of magical technology, I went the other direction and started looking at what we have um, in current clinical practice. And there's a procedure there uh, called therapeutic hypothermia, where they'll uh, cool, uh, cool a patient down. If you have a stroke or traumatic brain injury or cardiac arrest, they'll cool you down and put you in a, a low metabolic state for a couple days. And they'll use ice pads, uh, packs, and cold saline injections, and they'll sedate you. Um, so that was kind of like a starting point. Like, hey, if we could extend that that period and adapt it for space flight, you know, is there something useful there? Uh, so I expanded a medical team and uh, got a, a follow-on grant from NASA, and we were looking at both the medical technology and the engineering. Like, okay, well, if you could do that, who cares? What is, is it going to mean anything to go to Mars? Um, and we saw a lot of benefits. My, I, from my company primarily does the engineering analysis, so we're sizing out the, the rockets, and the, the capsules, and the habitats that you need. For those missions, uh, but I, uh, we augmented that with the with a medical team. Uh, we had some animal hibernation experts uh, that were trying to figure out how animals hibernate and is there anything <laughs> we can learn there. Uh, there's terrestrial applications for it. Um, you know, uh, one of them's uh, organ transplantation. Uh, Extending that window so of uh, keeping yeah. somebody alive. Yeah, so that's a, a big one. Um, another one is it looks like when um, a good evidence that when you cool the body down that develop like a radiation resistance um, so the cells are just more uh, kind of damage resistant there uh, so people are looking at it from a uh, cancer treatment uh, aspect where you could maybe with focused radiation treatment you could give somebody higher more focused dose of radiation uh, and then while they were cooled down so it could be a more effective process there so we can leverage all these terrestrial applications to develop the, the space flight capability Ed. with it yeah, for anyone who's just kind of wondering, like, well, what's the purpose? But if you takes, let's say, six months to get somewhere, that's six months of food you have to pack on a, a spaceship and pay in equal or pounds equal, you know, dollars, and also reduces what you can travel with. So if you can not, you know, put somebody in some kind of stasis for six months, that's less food waste and everything else that can now be replaced with other 
mission critical yeah. <laughs> stuff, or at least like reducing the cost. How often? Uh, I like you talking about all the other. We tried to solve this problem, and then we found this array of other things that this this will work on. Like how how often do you find that where it's like, all right, let's get A to B, but oh, while we're doing this, we've kind of solved all these are all these other potential uh, avenues that branch off of this you know kind of one idea. Yeah, um, it's a little harder. So this was a good one because it is such a fr- uh, little further technology. We needed that to kind of bridge the gap and to get to it, mature it and stuff. But um, yeah, it, it's become more important, you know, particularly as we go more commercial. You have to develop a, a story for a product or a new capability or technology that kind of has some revenue stream along the way. <laughs> you know, it's hard to get investors to go with a 10, 20 year time frame of investment yeah. on things with pre-revenue for 10 or 20 years <laughs> um, so it's becoming more important so we're looking at you know things that maybe it's not exactly right what we need for space um, but if we change it a little bit and it can accomplish these other things along the way too then that's a, a better story an easier story itself to get things developed and mature well um, one question kind of the, the famous story is like we look at the stuff that was science fiction as when we were children have now become sci-fi, you know, Star Trek, you know, we got, uh, replicate, you know, 3d printers, cell phones, all these things that kind of developed from that sci-fi inspired some scientist engineer to develop those things. What is your kind of the sci-fi you, that inspires you? Do you have a particular, your favorite movie show, whatever that, uh, <laughs> put you down this path? <laughs> you know, I kind of, uh, Grew up certainly um, formative years. The, the Star Wars, you know, was you know I was obsessed with watching that. But then it quickly, you know, it ran out of content. <laughs> so kind of done. So um, my dad was a fan of uh, Star Trek. Kind of got me on the original series. So watching those in reruns, and then really kind of grew up with Next Generation. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> so, um, so that was yeah, pretty you know big sci-fi fan. So that um, kind of Star Wars kicked me off, and then Star Trek sustained me because there's so much. Stuff there, so this is finally coming back and around. We're starting to get a lot more Star Trek con- yeah. <laughs> content, our Star Wars content now. So, yeah, so now it's they're, start, they're starting to catch back up. Yes, yeah, kind of. While there, there was a lot of you know the books were coming out, uh, additional uh, uh, follow-ons from the uh, original series uh, Star Wars, but um, there's a pretty big gap there. Not much. Uh, and you know, kind of follow on to that. I mean, we're at Dragon Con, so we'd have to ask a couple pop culture questions. Um, as someone who works in in the aeronautics or aerospace industry, have you seen anything that's gotten it right? That's not is that you know what's out there now that's more science than science fiction? Yes. Yeah. Um, let's see. I liked uh, you know Martian was done pretty well except for maybe some business things at the end stuff in terms of movies and um, passengers uh, did a, I think a reasonable job even though durations were. It's longer than what we're talking about. Um, you know, we look at hibernation or stasis. We're talking about periods of, of weeks, uh, so <laughs> not decades or a hundred years, whatever it was in that movie. <laughs> yes, yeah. But this idea that you know, um, when Chris Pratt came out, he was kind of groggy and sleepy, but kind of sedated. Take him a little while to adjust, and, and uh, the kind of pod that he was in was very similar to the things we were, were pursuing in terms of you know, what was reasonable to put on a ship and uh, what we. So, um, so those two were have been 
been reasonable. I'm about the overall movie. Right? <laughs> well, <anybody laughs> At least they got terms of, you know, nuggets of, uh, of truth in their, yeah. in their science. Yeah, and they, uh, you know, and they went, you know, they went state cybernation in the Martian. But, uh, you know, passengers, I think the, um, uh, they delved on that part a little bit. You know, I mean, that was kind of a, a key part, whereas oftentimes they just leapfrog over it and people are coming out of some, you know, foggy cold pod or something. They're just waking up. So it was nice that they uh, gave a little more attention to that. All right, last question. We've got to wrap this up. Um, what are you, for the next time you're here at DragonCon? Because you're you're here a lot. What do you do at DragonCon for if people the next time they come they want to come see what you're doing? Kind of give a brief of what your what your job here is at uh, <laughs> your panels and whatnot. Yeah. So um, I'm, most of my time is spent in the space track, um, and occasionally I'll go over into the the science track. My talks, uh, for example, this year were on um, Quilby. Uh, yesterday, I was discussing the uh, small launch, all the small launch vehicle companies uh, that are that are out there now. There's actually uh, over 160 that are in some stage of development. So we're just talking about how much the space industry is kind of uh, exploding. Although it's not a good thing in aerospace is exploding, but <laughs> maybe we should come up with a better term for yes, that. Yes, yeah, the expansion, <laughs> the growth of the industry, right? So um, we were talking about that and what the market's, what's driving it there. Uh, I'll be talking about uh, all the activity in cislunar space from you know, the launch portions to what NASA's doing uh, in the moon, on the moon or near the moon with the gateway. Uh, all these systems, there's four companies now looking at bringing the payload back, uh, back from Earth. Um, there's uh, four different providers targeting commercial space stations. The ISS is only gonna go through 2030. It, so we need a commercial station. So um, I'm giving a talk about uh, all that activity that's going on. Um, last year we talked a little bit about the, uh, uh, the the UFO report that was coming out. You know, so we'll venture into some of these other other topics. We'll talk about uh, Mars exploration and what's the status, you know, where we're going there. So um, on the science side, I'll occasionally I'll do a science of Star Wars or science of Star Trek, and we'll look at these things that we see in the in the shows and. So we got stuff for fans of real science and fans of uh, fictional science. Yes. So lastly, where can people find you? Follow your company. See what y'all are all are what y'all are up to these days. Okay. Yeah. No, we're um, trying to maintain a pretty good social media presence. So link, LinkedIn is prior, our primary. We put a lot a lot of content out there, but just at our website, corporate website is uh, spaceworks.aero, uh, E E R O, and that's it. There's no dot com, but spaceworks.aero. And we try to put out little uh, videos on projects we're working on and um, uh, papers and uh, publications. And Aliens are attacking. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your time, sir. It's been fun. All right. Hey, hey, we're Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. Almost 12 years old. Davy Jones was it for me. <laughs> I was having problems dancing and tambourining. I got overzealous and overly excited. Like we've had our own little version of Monkey Mania 50 years later, which is just crazy. Be sure to like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and monkeyingaround.com. And now it's time for Blowing Smoke. And next up is our interview with voice actor extraordinaire Jim Cummings. Uh, this was a uh, press conference style interview, so there's no kind of proper introduction to say who we're talking to. So the person you're about to hear is Jim Cummings. Enjoy. All right. Uh, 
Hello, sir. Um, Caramel uh, ice cream. You said we had to say our first favorite nice. dessert before we nice. answer a question. Ask a question. Is that alcoholic or non? Either or. Yes. <laughs> of your vast catalog of voices, who's the most fun to be? Oh boy, uh, Tigger's not bad because Tigger's a wonderful thing. <laughs> and uh, I have a lot of fun with Hondo because he's very close to my own personality. And, uh, I, I love Hondo. All the lines. I don't think I ever wrote anything. That's <laughs> Or said anything that they wrote, I should say. But uh, yeah, he, he's a lot of fun. And and um, okay, we're gonna be here a while. Uh, Ray <laughs> from Princess and the Frog. You know that that was a heck of a character. You know, following the bouncing bus. And uh, yeah, I kind of enjoy them all. You know, the only one I didn't like <coughs> doing was for a show called The Mangler. Raise your hand if you saw it. Don't raise your hand. You didn't see it. Um, and that's good. Whatever, and don't ever bring that up again, please. Yes, sir. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, um, uh, mochi ice cream, oh. my favorite dessert. And you've worked with like almost every company imaginable at this point, but is there one that you have not worked with yet that you would love to reach out to you to work with? Uh, Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good, you know, because maybe they'd give me a sample to take home. Uh, uh, every company? No, I mean, I, I've, uh, I've been doing it a long time, and, uh, you know, you start off and you have goals, you know. And, uh, I've got, I've, you know, I've sung my whole life, too, so, you know, I got a few walls with gold and platinum all over them, and so, I, you know, I'm, I'm a happy guy, you know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very fulfilled. You know, I, I, and I like doing this. This is, uh, it's, not, it's something I used to do all day long for free. I mean, I would get kicked out of class doing the things that people pay me money for now. So <laughs> the joke's on Sister Mary Agnes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. Steve Seavers from Bionic Buzz, Pumpkin Pie, my all-time favorite dessert. Oh. Best time of the year right now. Tasty. Yeah. Uh, my question's about Rescue Rangers movie just came out on Disney+. Plus. Great job. You're bringing back a couple of their voices. Yeah. And talk about doing that, and then is a Darkwing Duck tease at the end leading to something else, hopefully? Boy, uh, I, you know, with all these reboots, <coughs> I mean, my, my buddies, uh, there's an Animaniacs uh, reboot, they're, they're back up again. And um, Darkwing is unquestionably one of my uh, biggest characters that people respond to. You know, I mean, it, uh, example, I mean, a couple years ago, uh, I, I See a kid come walking up, and he was dark. He was seven years old. He was cosplaying. I go, well, that show was off the air twenty-five years before you were born. And <laughs> Dad'll plop down all these DVDs. He goes, we're raising them right. <laughs> yeah, you are. Well, now with Disney Plus, uh, there's lots of little dark wings, you know, and they, and they, they think it's this brand new show. And I go, sure, but whatever you say. <laughs> and uh, so I love it, you know. I, I, you know, I love all that stuff. I don't even remember the question, but five oh, yeah, was a hell of an answer. The, yeah, the tease at the end for We Want More. Yeah, dog. yeah, I, uh, yeah, I would but love it. My kids love it too. That's they watch the DVDs. Yeah, Disney Plus, yeah. So. and it's uh, it's unbelievable that they're not doing something with it. I mean, yeah, I mean it's free money to them, and I like doing it. Apparently, they pay me too, so that, <laughs> that wouldn't be bad. Write a letter. I will. <laughs> Hello, my name is Javier from Semper Project. Uh, favorite dessert, Krispy Kreme donut, the original. Oh. Um, yeah. OG. <laughs> uh, these questions are top 
fan favorite uh, top ten. I'm just gonna say one and give everybody else an opportunity to ask their question. It's your favorite food. My favorite food? Yes. Oh boy, uh, Boston cream pie is not bad. Key lime pie, right? Mm. Okay. And uh, something is a dead animal name. Wes, I like all the desserts. Yes. You can look at me and tell. I'll represent Georgia and just say peanut butter pie because I feel like that's appropriate for here. Um, so a few minutes ago, you did uh, a you did Tigger for us. Everybody's face lights up. I know that it's special. You get to a convention like this and you're able to do that and make that connection with fans all ages. Like you were talking about people introducing new people to voices and things, but there's something about what you guys do as voice actors that connects on a very personal level with people. And if you could just talk a little bit about a convention like this where you get to meet fans and, and get to experience that over and over and over again. It's gotta yeah. be magical. Well, it's. Uh it's it's a blessing. It's a blessing. I I've, I've thought of that a lot. You know I've, I've you know <coughs> not to get boringly philosophical or anything, but um I think what happens is you know somebody will be fifty years old and they walk up and they go, well you know I really really enjoyed that that Winnie the Pooh Bear when I was boy that was really good. Oh they say well thank you very much and I hope you stay just as sweet as honey. And you go, <laughs> <laughs> that's him. And I go yeah I know. <laughs> And you know, and, and, uh, I think the thing of it is that uh, no matter how old you are or jaded you are, you can be five again like that. And uh, it's a blessing, you know. I, I like doing it. I, I, people like people like visiting their own because you're visiting your own childhood, you know. And it's uh, it's always going to be personal because it was yours. And uh, you know, I like being able to do that for people. And and uh, I mean, every now and then, <laughs> someone will come along and. <coughs> It was a couple of conventions ago, and, and these, these two guys, and they're like 25, 30, okay. And they go, do the voice. <laughs> and I go, oh, bother. No, do, 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 the, do the voice. And, I go, and so I'll do Tigger. No, come on, do the voice. And I'm doing Darkwing, and then it's on the task. And I'm going, okay, uh, can you give me a hint? And he goes, Baldur's Gate. I go, oh, that one from 35 years ago. <laughs> it was a video game. I can't even remember anything. I can't, you know, and uh, and apparently, so you know, the thing is, you just never know what's gonna, what's gonna resonate with people. You you really don't, you know, and, and it's it's fun to see them take the trip back, you know, on the other side of their forehead. They're going, dip, 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 dip. I'm in third grade. <laughs> Everybody likes going back to third grade, you know. Not, maybe not Sister Mary Agnes, but every, but you know, it's a lot of fun. Yes, sir. So I just want to say, I actually saw you interact with that kid. It was a Dallas Comic and Pop show, and I have footage of it. Oh. It was the best thing ever. <laughs> That's a scream. What are the odds? That kills me. I saw that happen. What are the odds? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The little, the little kid with the little mask on his face, but he's painted. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Put, put smiles on those faces. That's what, that's what it's all about, you know? Give them the, hold on to that childhood magic. Are you gonna go next? Or? Well, I talk to Jim at home all the time. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, so you hold the phone. Okay, we'll go back to the phone. Yeah, we don't want to leave her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll deal with you
character development like um you know do studios come to you and be like hey we got this character we want him to sound this way or do you just like here's Winnie the Pooh here's Darkwing Duck what is this going to sound like you know, how how much creative control do you have over yeah. your voices well, Pooh and Tigger were around before I was uh before I, not well, not quite before I was born but close um you know a long long time ago so they were established but there was only uh three uh Winnie the Pooh shorts uh Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2 Day for Eeyore and uh yeah just Winnie the Pooh and that was it. So uh, the trick on that, when you're doing an established character, is you have to, you know, just go right back to that DNA and conjure up that voice and that character, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of times, like, there's a couple people out there on the interwebs that can do a phrase or two, and it sounds just pretty darn good, you know, and then that, then you say, okay, now, d d tell a story about that, uh, 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 you know, and then, you know, so you have to... You have to inhabit the character, you know. It's uh, voice acting, but it's a it's a small V and a capital A is is one way to do it. And then uh, as far as new characters, which is, you know, some of my favorites is, you know, like Ray, Princess and the Frog, or Hondo is a pretty good example because, um, you know, they kind of know, they, they have a vague notion, you know, that he's going to be a scoundrel, but he's going to be a lovable scoundrel. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to play poker with the guy. <laughs> just not going to work out for you, uh, but you know you still love him, and uh, and so one thing that I've done to create a new character is I'll I'll think of two guys that might play him on screen as as on screen actors, and then I've I've put the two of them together a lot, you know. And uh, Hondo is uh, I often will ask this at cons, who do you think who do you think who do you think that Hondo will knock out? is a combination of because it is two very good actors. They're both not with us anymore, but they are gone. And because, you know, it's, it's okay, they're dead. Uh, and uh, so, and, and I'll say, everybody says, okay, who was that? And, and you get the darndest things. And somebody actually did come up with Charles Bronson, which is oh, half yeah. And the other half is, from The King and I, Yul Brynner. Oh. And, uh, you know, Moses, Moses, these Israelites, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> And then you put the two of them together and you get Hondo. At least you do it in my head. I kind of hear a little Antonio Banderas in there as well. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> so it kind of has like a little Antonio Banderas to me as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I don't know. People say he's from Russia, right? And I go, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Well, yeah, the, the Cuban part of Russia. <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, I, yeah it, it, I think people hear kind of what they, they, they want to hear, you know, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, so when you are working on a project or even like maybe a daily routine, is there anything you do to keep your vo like take care of your voice so that it doesn't get well, broken while doing any acting? Yeah, yeah. I, I never yell. I don't yell. I mean, you go to a football game and uh, you know I just I don't yell. My wife does. You know, <laughs> I'm a pro football player up in Canada, and uh, you know plays for Calgary, and uh, and, and she, she'll yell at the screen, the TV screen. Well, I don't even do that. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, but I'm good at whistling. You know, and just different things. I, I can tell you this. I've got every cigarette I've ever smoked in my life. I've got it right there in my hand. So uh, I'm told that that, uh, by a lot of people, that that's a benefit, which I knew. And it's not because of my health, not or anything. My dad used to smoke. I just thought, okay, that stinks. I don't want to smell like that. You know, that was all. And uh, so I guess that helps. And... Uh, 
you know, I'll have a beer, but I won't have like shots. Cause I think that like Tom Waits, they say that's a whiskey voice. Well, I, I'd rather imitate Tom Waits than have to sound like that all the time. <laughs> you, know. you know, great guy, but you know. Uh, so, you know, and I, I just think of it as an instrument, you know, cause it is, it's my, it's my ax, you know, it's what I do. So, you know, if I, if I played guitar, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't do that thing with the knife or whatever, you know, that, <laughs> don't oh, do the, that. The little game with the knife. Yeah, whatever, I don't even know what that is. It's a game for stupid people, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it thins out the herd, doesn't it? <laughs> yep. Yeah, so there you have it, yeah. Nice. Um, I want to stick with Darkwing. Let's talk about the DuckTales reboot. I thought that was cool that they had, Darkwing was an old TV show and you kind of- Could you follow that? Because I was in it and I couldn't follow it. Uh, <laughs> well, the actor was like sort almost your full name. I, I forget the name of it, like Jim mm -hmm. Starlin or something like that. But yeah, yeah, well, yeah. They thought that was incredibly clever, and I'm like, oh, so I was going to ask if you had <laughs> anything to do with it. Wasn't kumquat. Uh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. But I, people really got a kick out of it, mm -hmm. and then it got all this great reaction. And I'm going, okay, so, so oh, oh, looking at the wrong hand. Uh, so when are we going to start the new Darkwings? And yes. <laughs> Cricket, cricket, cricket. All right, so I have to write two letters now, huh? <laughs> yeah, write two letters. Yeah, yeah, we ain't waiting on me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, second question, uh, small one too from the fans. Uh, the first game you ever played, video game you ever played? Oh, video game I ever played. Yes. Oh, well, I could probably asteroids. Asteroids. Yeah, okay. I had an asteroids in my in my garage. I had asteroids and a Donkey Kong. Okay. I could, you know, <laughs> but that was the first. And I used to like Defender. Remember Defender? Yes. yes. Classic yeah. video game. Yeah. Space Invaders. Kind of boring, but you still played it. You know. <laughs> okay, I play it now. Fine. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's, it's fun. It's a lot of quarters. Home studios for voice actors, blessing or curse or a bit of both. I know you probably like ensemble work, or, or is it just easier to be able to do it at home? Well, you know, I've got one, obviously. I've had it for a million years uh, before uh, there was ever a reason to. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the thing is, you know, we I've done oh, tons of, of uh, like Mickey Mouse. We're still we're doing Mickey Mouse Funhouse right now. And uh, and that's at home, yeah. Or I go into a studio and there's nobody there. Well, see, I like that. I like like all the. That's one thing I liked about George Lucas and uh, uh, the uh, doing Clone Wars and Rebels. We went, of course, a couple years ago, so we could still do it. I like going into the studio and having everybody there. You know, because you're because um, you know I I think I mentioned I had live a lot and. Uh, Oftentimes, you know, well, oh, oh, wow, what did you say? Well, let's keep that. And then the person's line after it doesn't necessarily work anymore that well. So it doesn't sound right anymore. Then they have to go in. But the other actors like it because they get a new gig. They get a free gig. Yeah, well, we have some pickups for you. Oh, really? I thought I did everything right. Well, you did, but Jim came in and screwed everything up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now we have to compensate. You know, so uh, it's kind of that, that type of thing. So, you know, I it's... I, I like it, you know, it's it's a tool. You know, if I was a carpenter, I'd have a hammer and a saw, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, back to me then. Um, you've done video games and animation. 
is one a harder skill than the other? Is like voice acting for video games like kind of a different skill set than than yeah, regular? It's boring. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's really just boring. You know, uh, that's why I don't do a lot of them. And when I do them, I say, okay, I don't. I'm not going to be the guy that is on fire, uh, dip him in acid, and he falls like from the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Blood curdling scream, blood curdling five minutes later. Ah! You know, I don't want to be that guy. So I have my, my little rules about that. You know, I'll be the guy who gives boring speeches, but not, I, I don't want to catch on fire and scream and yell my own. Because that, that, there's like, uh, when I, fir I first did a couple of them, I can't even remember their names, but, uh, you know, that's, that's half the thing. Hey, you kids can't be in here. Ah! <laughs> you know, so. Uh, you know, uh, as long as and I just think they're boring, and I'm too immature to uh, sit around and be bored for that long. Make the noises yeah, for an hour. Like, <laughs> you know, and then there'll be a line like, "Careful, you'd better run. Careful, time for us to run. Careful, did I mention run? You know, and it's and it's the, and it's all variations of the same thing over and over again. And you're going, oh, God, yeah, don't be careful, just die. You know, <laughs> so. I can take them or leave them. And, and oh, and thanks for bringing it up. But there's no residuals. What? So what's the point? <laughs> no, so you got to get your money up front. Hmm. Good to know. <laughs> Interesting. All right, so don't voice act for video games. Got it. No, I, yeah, go ahead and do it. A lot of people do it. They have a lot of fun. I guess if you I, enjoy it. depends it. on the individual deal, I would think. So you've done, we haven't talked much about some of the singing roles you've done in the past. Which one was the one that was the most fun to work with? The singing, the singing mm -hmm. roles? Uh, boy, uh, I, I guess my favorite would probably be Princess and the Frog. Mm -hmm. You know, Ray, um, and Randy Newman, he's, he's great. I mean, my gosh. You know, I worked with him a number of times. I, I must have done two or three songs in, uh, James and the Giant Peach, and they didn't make it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that happens all the time. Oh. You know. Um, oh, God, what was that movie? And I work with my close personal friend, Elton John, many times, too. So. <laughs> but they told me not to name drop. <laughs> uh, but, uh, oh, God. Uh, Road to El Dorado. Uh, I sang a couple songs for that one, too, and they didn't make it. And, I mean, Elton wrote them, so if he's okay with it, I'm okay. You know what I mean? I'm, I can't be more upset than him. But, um, but uh, you know, I think Ray from Princess and the Frog was probably my favorite, you know. And, and uh, Lion King, uh, I, I sang, uh, the, the way it worked was, um, I sang Golf Be Prepared, the, vil the bad guy. I get a lot of bad guy songs. Anastasia, <laughs> I was, uh, I was uh, Rasputin. I, I didn't do any of the talk. It was all Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd doing his bad Russian. <laughs> and uh, so uh, actually it was pretty good. But, uh, y you know, uh, he, well, quick story on that one. Uh, they said, well, you, you know, uh, Christopher, we, we've got a great song for you. It's real, you know, Phantom of the Opera-esque. You know, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie. It's a pretty darn cool yeah. song. Um, and he goes, wow, let me know how I do. And left. <laughs> <laughs> so I got that gig. And, and uh, it was really good. And, and they call it back in, and, you know, and, and it's all mixed, and it's all, and it's, you know, I'm pretty good about it. He goes, wow, 
I didn't know I could sing like that. <laughs> That's pretty good. You know, and then he walked out, and that was, so that was my story. And, uh, and I guess they kind of did that with Jeremy Irons on, on Lion King. And uh, actually, w w with uh, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, he was, he was still at Disney then before uh, DreamWorks. And uh, he, he was a producer, executive producer. And so th they were all worried, oh, Jeremy, you know. And uh, there's a story I tell. Uh, Tim Rice uh, was the lyricist. And, uh, and, and he brought me in, and, and we're listening to the song as Jeremy did it. And he goes, you can hear every bloody mall barrel the man ever smoked. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. So uh, I, ended up, I ended up singing, and they just kind of loop, looped me in here and there. But I'm the whole end of the song. So that was kind of fun, you know, and I like that. And you get free platinum. You know, hey, can't complain. Yeah, not that, yeah. <laughs> and I wrote the fart verse in Hakuna Matata. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, stop it. Oh, all right, keep it up. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, we were sitting there around, and Rob Minkoff's going, I don't know, God, when I had a kid, it was really hard to do. And me and Jess Arnell uh, did the demo for it, and I was, I was, I was Puma and Jess was Timon, and because uh, they're not singers, and so they said, well, let's just get Jim and Jess to do it. And then we'll give them a cassette and they can ride around in their car for three weeks. And then you know it as well as like you do happy birthday because you heard it a million times. So that's what we're doing. And uh, we're going through there. And he goes, oh, man, everything is like, oh, uh, it was hard when he, I was, you know, I had the worst thing in the world when I was a kid. You got it easy. So I go, oh, that's boring. And I go, well, here, I've got a, I've got a potential verse. And they <laughs> said, okay. And, and I, said, I said, roll the black shit because back then we had tape. And uh, I, I wrote the fart verse, oh, the shame, but what's in a name? And I got downhearted every time that I poop, but not in front of the kids, sorry. Hakuna Matata, do 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 So I wrote the fart verse. <laughs> the best part. Nice. So I've got parts in the two major motion pictures. <laughs> Lion King and Princess and the Frog, when Ray first comes walking up, flying on up and his, his his butt, the firefly, like a big bulb, gets loose. He goes, oh, sorry, let me fix that. <laughs> Excuse me. And then, he, then he screws it in, so you're welcome. <laughs> nice. Uh, don't tell anybody this. <laughs> Before next question, have you been on the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run ride yet? Oh, yeah. So I love all the lines in that. What is that? Is that all improvised by you, or do you all, that was all? Uh, I, I used it. Most of it was improv. You know, Hondo's uh, like almost all me. You know, but I mean, I, I stick to the script, to sort of. You know, uh, <laughs> to the extent that I'm telling the same story. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, God, what's a good example of that? Uh, oh, oh well, when. <laughs> Well, this is Ray. It's not actually Hondo, but the same principle applies. When he gets stuck up the guy's nose, Prince of the Frog, and the guy jets him out like the, in a way that you don't, you know. And he goes flying, and he splats up against the rock. And uh, the line that was written there, oh, boy, I bet that's going to leave a mark. I mean, we've never heard that before, have we? And, I go, and so instead I went, oh, oh, no, I think I'm going to chip my favorite tooth. <laughs> and he only had five of them, so it was a loss. <laughs> it was it was his true consideration. So there you go. <laughs> Top three favorite films that you love watching over and over again. 
Say, I, top three favorite films that you like watching, or oh, you know, I like watching over and over again, or uh, well, I mean, you know, we're, we're all stuck with Wizard of Oz, aren't we? Mm. You're not talking about that I was in, uh, it's just oh, in no, general, yeah. General. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, boy, I, I, Godfather's got to be up there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know, honey, what, what are we? I can't think, I can't think of any, can you? She's ignoring me. <laughs> Spider Man over and over and over again. Which one? Spider Man. Well, that's true. Okay. <laughs> yeah, something. Uh, Marvel. Marvel. Yeah, Marvel. Yeah. I still like that first Iron Man. Oh, that was pretty darn good. How about you? Me? Oh. Same one? Um, I love Disney films. It's yeah. all Disney. Just, I go back. I think Tim Burns, Nightmare Before, uh, Before Christmas. For my number yeah. one, mm -hmm. you know, next to anything with pretty much action films, mm -hmm. documentary or anything with yeah, life. those are my favorite. Charlie Depp, uh, Captain Sparrow, he's pretty darn good. Yes. Pressure's on. Uh, all right, I'll go with this. Uh, all the characters in the Hundred Acre Wood get a Royal Rumble style fight. Who's the last survivor? <laughs> Taz. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. If he got into the Hundred Acre Wood, I suppose well, it would yeah, be trouble. Well, uh, you know, poo, because he would probably get bored and sit down and just, you know, stick a honey jar over his head and he'd have a fake helmet. That's why he did. Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, we'll never get rid of that image. Uh, I'm sorry, we, it came up in our room. We were talking about it earlier. So oh, so I'd ask, I'd go to the expert. I didn't know. Well, Tigger would survive. He'd just bounce away. That's true. He's got rough. Well, he's kind of burnt out, yeah. energy wise. He's kind of maybe get tired. Uh, who knows? But Christopher Robin would probably make it. Historically, I think that probably plays out. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey, welcome back. We are here today with the cast of Ghost Nation, Ghost Hunters, and now back to Ghost Hunters, uh, Steve, Jason, and Shari. 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 I'm horrible. Yes, okay. I, get it, I get it all the time. That's I don't fine. remember his name half the time. Uh, we just call her Thomas. <laughs> so, uh, how's your uh, your con been so far? So far, I think it's been good. It's been nice being able to you know, talk with a lot of the fans and uh, yeah, just maybe having a blast. It's always nice to get out there and uh, connect with everybody. So uh, first question, for anyone who's maybe not picked up the new show, how is it different than for fans that are of the original Ghost Hunters that have, you know, they haven't tuned in yet. What's what's the big uh, big difference? Well, I mean, the team's back together. Uh, we're doing what we love to do. Uh, we're covering uh, all different types of cases, uh, residential cases, commercial cases. We're, uh, I mean, we've, where we've brought in new types of equipment. Uh, I mean, the list just goes on and on. I think with the new uh, episodes, too, or at least the new, uh, not version, but the, the you know, newer, I, I guess you would call Iteration, it. Iteration, generation. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> of Ghost Hunters, you know, We've sort of, we've always had control of the investigation, but now we, it may just be that we've done it so long, or, but uh, we're able to say things like, uh, no, we need another week here, or no, we need, you know, and, and they make it happen. And that's, it's, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, great. because it, it, the, in the original Ghost Hunters, I mean, we, we were kind of limited. It was like, uh, we had a week to investigate uh, for, 
because of time restraints. And now, I mean, nobody's ever been in charge of us, and that's nice because we weren't casted to make a show. I mean, we, the production company works for us, and they always have. So, um, which is very different than most of the shows out there. And now, like Steve was saying, if, if we're at a place and we're like, you know, guys, we're going to need an extra week here, nobody's there to argue. Nobody's there to try to push push that either way. So what we say is, is what, what happens. Took, like, what we liked of Ghost Nation and what we liked of Ghost Hunters and kind of combined everything. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. we're able to do things uh, on the fly a lot more where in the, the beginning of Ghost Hunters, you know, it was very much this is what's happening. You know, we know that, hey, uh, we're going to investigate here and there and do this. And not necessarily locations, but buildings, that sort of thing. Now we can walk around and be like, why aren't we investigating that building? Let's get in there. Why don't we have ground penetrating radar here? Hey, guys, make that happen. You know, we're like cadaver dogs. Exactly. I, mean, right. I think we're the first show to ever start using cadaver dogs. Yep. Down with us. But I remember, like, just in a recent episode, you're just looking at, at me and everybody and be like, we should have cadaver dogs here tomorrow. And it's like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> We're like, you know, in the beginning, uh, the production company and everybody, you know, you, you just have to really, you know, it just took a lot longer to get yeah. things done. You know, they would do it for sure, but it may take a week or two, and then you're already done. Now they're like, tomorrow, done. You know, yeah, I think this kind of increasing, even well, y'all had a lot of creative control from the beginning, but the increasing creative control as you went, you think that's what's kind of contributed to the longevity of, uh, of y'all's career because I, I, I think Ghost Hunters longevity is because it's always been about keeping it real for us yes. it's never been about uh, making a place seem haunted if it's not it's not about blowing a haunting out of proportion and uh, <coughs> again us not working for a production company where I mean there's there's been shows that have come and gone that it's like production company tells their cast member we need you to do this you can't do that on our show because we don't work for them and uh, so we we will never we'll never fake anything. We'll never pretend something's going on that's not. And uh, I mean, if anybody ever said that to us in production, they would be uh, looking for a new show to work on. And then yeah. even people keep calling us though, like because they have issues and everything. So I mean, they they're you know they're able to trust us. Unlike other shows, it's not really for helping a client type of thing. You know, so I feel like we always have. Places to go because people are always calling. struggling to yeah. generate content. The content's kind of well, yeah, coming yeah, looking for you, <laughs> and we don't yeah. have to go out and look for cases where the TAPS website is, has always been the highest hit paranormal website in the world. That last year, we uh, it was almost 90 million visitors, so we get about a thousand case requests a day. And I mean, we have 14 case managers in the United States, we have some in the other countries, we have 42 bases in the United States, 14 other countries. So, I mean, so we have cases coming to us from everywhere, so uh, endless material to uh, go investigate. And I, I've always liked the, like I said, the keeping it real though, because there's not a, a shortage of paranormal shows, but a lot of them are like, you're like, yeah, this is made of, where they have the psychic, and you're like, this looks like a production, where y'all has always been real. Y'all, Especially with like psychics, I don't, yeah. most of the time it's like, oh, if they don't know anything about this property before they go... I don't, I don't buy that. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. So, and no, it, it's what it's always been. And so it, we, uh, like, we don't know if they're telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah, it's like they could say anything and they can build up this whole thing, but nobody's ever going to know. They can't experience it. Yeah, people, you know? they go out, they're going to find something where you guys, it's like, you, you always do the yeah. result stuff yeah. where it's like, we found something, here's or this, or we didn't find something. something. We'll put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. If, if the place tries to fake, you got to remember, I mean, Ghost Hunters is, Amazing because we we when we agreed to do the show, 
when we decided we'd do the show, we figured it would only last the season. But uh, now it's because of Ghost Hunters. I mean, that's spiraled the whole genre of television, if you think about it. So uh, it's been an amazing run to see how far it's come since 2004. So what's the, so, yeah, there. what's the newest technology y'all have? How, how, how big has that changed since you know, I mean, we went ghost hunting back in the day when it was just, we were using a regular 35 millimeter camera and no technology. Just, we're going to hang out here and see if we see something. But yeah, it's like the. I saw a shadow <laughs> in the woods. Well, now we're, I mean, we're dealing with uh, companies that are specifically designing equipment around certain things that we want to try, whether it's, it's testing different sonar waves, whether it's testing different, uh, uh, different kinds of light sources to, to use to, to analyze, uh, different types of audio equipment. I mean, the equipment's come so far. Nobody, there's never been a company out there that's built equipment specifically for ghost hunting, so we've always had to take equipment that's out there and modify it for our own needs. And now we've also got other engineers and stuff that are working in that area that are trying to modify different things to help us out. And I mean, doors are opening up more and more. Now we're de you're dealing with systems like Roombas and stuff now that have all these sensors on them that now you're able to start modifying and taking equipment and adding them to because these things can go in when nobody else is in there and, and move around on their own and map out locations. Um, we're dealing with different devices that we can set up in different areas and it all sends the signal back to one main hub. Where, so we're able to see what's going on exactly in what part of the room. And it, it could be a back room that nobody's in, but we're able to now check the temperature fluctuations in every corner of that room or using 360 cameras that can see you know, all around um, and send the signal right back to us, or right to our phone. So I mean. These the devices have come so far. I mean, when we first started, again, we were using cameras that their their visual was low. Uh, we were having to run a you thousand know, feet of wire on every investigation, and now we don't have to worry about pre Bluetooth days. Oh well, yeah, I mean, yeah. So we had yeah, we had what six thousand feet of cable in our van at any given time. It was a nightmare. I like the lidar too. Oh, lidar is laser yeah. and, and, and sonar technology together. We use that a lot. Yeah, I come from the law firm. I've, I've seen that in like a crime scene investigation. Yeah, the lidar mapping is that's kind of a, a game changer in that you don't have to sketch anything anymore. You just exactly. Scan it so and go. Connect it to a drone and put it up too, and, and be able to map out what used to be their old foundations and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it just comes in handy. One aspect I like of what y'all always done is you've always shown the per, the post investigation going through the hours of tapes and evidence. It's like watching a cop <laughs> shows and they never show the hours of paperwork. Realistically, how long does that take to go from post investigation to go through all the document, all the stuff you've? I mean, it could take us. It could take a week, week and a half, sometimes. Real time, time. yeah. Because I mean, if, if we ran 16 cameras <laughs> in a place, we have to go through. There's 16 cameras that ran for 24 hours a day for eight days, nine days. We have to go through all that footage. So it's uh, it takes a long time. So what we see in the magic of TV in an hour block is yeah, like, oh, that's like 42 yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> two weeks of our two weeks of, of work. Yeah, that'll drive you crazy, but yeah, that's how it is. Is there anything that uh, through the years that y'all done that didn't make it to screen that y'all thought might have been amazing for for whatever reason? Well, sometimes we'll be on certain investigations, and there might be a situation with a certain family that we find out during the investigation that comes to a point where we're like probably not going to be beneficial for us to air this because this is the family's dirty laundry um, <clears throat> or, you know, we don't, we don't want to talk about, like we dealt with a case where a family member, one family member had passed uh, 
due to, due to narcotics, another family member, with some weird relationships going on with him. So, I mean, stuff like that, like, we're not going to air this because it's not about that. It's, it's not about airing some family dirty laundry for ratings. Right. And we've never cared about that. It's, uh, so, and we have cases like that. And we, and we have cases that turn, you go there and you realize that it has nothing to do with paranormal. It has to do with somebody either over-medicated, under-medicated, self-medicated, or needed to be medicated. And, uh, again, it's just not something we want to put out there a lot of times and, and uh, for people to scrutinize <coughs> certain people. There has been some evidence, too, you know, some places we go, like, for instance, Stanley Hotel, so much happens that it's like, okay, but... Just to show the best of it. Exactly. <laughs> like, people can get lost, and they, they, you know, it's better for them to, you know, so I remember, like, at the Stanley, there was uh, a table that moved, and, like, a glass shook, and it didn't make it get to the episode, just because there was so much there, so many things happening, and it's like, how do you, you know, yeah, the things that would be impressive like, to me, but it's like, yeah, this is just average. We've got all this other yeah, stuff. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to put the best of the stuff out here. Uh, any questions, Brad? What's one place that you guys would absolutely want to investigate that you haven't yet? Uh, Literally, what I was just thinking. This many times. I mean, we've talked about like the Coliseum in Rome. Ooh, we'd love to check out something like that. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I, yeah, like I haven't, I haven't been to a lot of these places, but like obviously like Waverly and Stanley and, um, and Augustine Hotel, like the, <laughs> the <I> lighthouse <laughs> and stuff. But of course, you know, yeah, go and see like the castles overseas and stuff. There's a lot of places. Yeah, for me, it's always been, you know, oh, the Bell Witch has always intrigued me, you yeah. know, and that was one that I'd like to give that a go sometime. <laughs> So, you know, the average person who's uh, watched too many horror movies like us, I mean, y'all are professionals of this, y'all deal. There's no professionals. Y'all go out, well, (laughs) experience, I'll say it that way. Have have y'all ever run into anything you're like, oh, like, nope, we're we're out. Like, what's been scary to you guys? (laughs) The the homeowners. Because you know, you know, you never know what's truly going on. The living's always weirder well, than yeah, the I mean, I'm not scared of the dead. I'm scared of the living because you never know. I mean, again, the person could be over-medicated, self-medicated. Uh, we've dealt with people on the beginning stage of schizophrenia. We've investigated a little old lady who invited us in 15 minutes after. Forgot she invited us in and came after us with a frying pan. Thought we broke in. So you never, you never truly know who's on the other side of that door. So it's, it's the living is what scares the shit out of me. Uh, yeah, like I said, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, the living is always a, a lot uh, crazier to deal with. I mean, y'all have been all over. What's your favorite country to investigate in or state or city? Like, well, of course, my favorite country to investigate in is my country, <laughs> the U.S. Um, but travel's yeah, just easier that yeah, way. Well, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's home. But um, I, like, I enjoyed Ireland. I enjoyed England. Uh, you know, get to Hawaii. Investigated the Island of Dolls out in, Me- in Mexico. Um, but yeah, my favorite country is definitely the U.S. to investigate. Do you find that like there's different kind of paranormal lore here versus other countries, other cities? Does like people look at it differently depending on where you're at? Well, when you get overseas in the U.K., I mean, it's ev- everybody has a haunting, <laughs> and if you don't, you're kind of a weird person with a block. But I mean, when you get overseas, also most of those hauntings tend to be like residual type haunts, which are like yeah, people still see somebody walking through a wall and if you go back and look at the uh, the original uh, format of, of the property that uh, was a doorway and now it's been covered up so all these residual type haunts were here you get a lot it seems to be more like intelligent haunts so, yeah. I know in like Ireland they really believe in fairies 
you know, like they really believe that they're there, some are bad, some are good, they will... Yeah, their idea of fairies and, and leprechauns are very different than like we've mm -hmm. been taught here. <laughs> I mean, over there, fairies, they'll tear you apart. Then from Lynn, leprechauns tear you Everything's apart. Everything's been disnified here. here. You're like, oh, leprechaun, he's selling me lucky charms. It's very, oh, yeah, you want, you want to... Like, no, these are bad guys. No, I mean, over there, yeah, they talk about in these wraiths and stuff, these encirclements that the fairies would crawl, would go, and because people would hide in these areas underground during village attacks, and these fairies killed off all the villagers and then went into the tunnels underground where they stored their, their goods. So as you're walking through this wraith, Fairies supposedly walking in the tunnels under, waiting for your feet to fall through. It's like, holy shit, it's not, nothing we learned here. So it's uh, definitely different. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. like, you look at it like, you know, Disney stuff, and then you go back to the original uh, yes. fairy tale versions, they're way darker. Uh, yeah, well, we were talking about that, like Snow White. Those dwarfs were not seven, you know, little, I mean, they were mean little things in the original stories. Uh, well, I think that's about it for our time. I appreciate y'all being here. Uh, where can people find you, follow you, and even uh, you know, send y'all some, some spooky tales to maybe... I mean, they can still go to the, uh, the Atlantic Paranormal website, uh, the Atlantic Paranormal Society website. Um, also, the new season starts on Travel Channel October 1st in all new episodes. And so Discovery Plus. And Discovery Plus, too. Yeah. They can also yeah. find all past 16 seasons on Discovery Plus. And if someone's wanting to get into ghost hunting, I mean, there's a ton of local groups. What would you say the first piece of equipment someone should uh, learn? Common sense. <laughs> common sense. You don't need the equipment's great, but you got to have common sense in this. And uh, I think there's too much lacking out there of that. So besides that, you find a local group in your area that has some morals behind them and, uh, and run with it. And I don't think we can find a better piece of that. You know, use some common sense, uh, and we'll be uh, right back. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. And that's going to be it for this week. Uh, like I said, we're gonna have we got so much interview content. Uh, next episode, we'll have a couple more of those interviews for you. Uh, and final thoughts on this here, uh, Nico Rustica Adobe. Like I said before, there's definitely like those. Well, it's they say it's a medium to full, but for my palate, it's more closer to that medium. But then again, like I said, I smoke the hard shit, so what would be full for some people, not full for me, but. I like that Habano black pepper taste, and it also has, you know, kind of a woody, leathery, with just like a just sweet spice, like, at the end. So it's, while it's not strong for me, it has a lot of bold flavor. So it's definitely can kind of keep you entertained as you go, but not going to overpower you if you're, you know, pairing this with, like, a coffee or, or you know, you might, you're like a... If you're in a whiskey, it might be overpower the cigar a little bit, but you know, good morning smoke for me, you know, or if you're pairing it with something a little milder, uh, it might uh, pair well with that. And it's also a good inexpensive, a good budget cigar. These are things six ninety, so it's if it's something you want to try, it's not going to break the bank. So it's a good, uh, good uh, try me cigar. Uh, and then if you like it, you're like, hey, this is a good uh, ex inexpensive cigar that I can buy a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's always kind of been our knack. You know, when people talk to me about cigar pricing and stuff like that, it's, I always sort of welcome it as a challenge, figure out what flavors are you looking for? What price point are you looking for? You know, because the common misconception is you got to spend more 
to get a bang for your buck when in reality a lot of times you're spending more because of the marketing behind the cigar and at the kind of ten dollar range i'm more willing to experiment and try you know if something's a twenty dollar cigar i gotta know it's gonna be a good cigar and even if i buy it and like it it's not gonna be an everyday smoke it's gonna be a you know special occasion or like you know monthly smoke uh because that shit's expensive and i'm i'm poor <laughs> but yeah if i see something with a 20 dollar price tag i'm like now nah, i gotta wait and see if you know, wait till someone else recommends that before i lay down the price at where if something's uh 10 11 12 dollars i'm much more willing to experiment at that price but at level. the same time like as long as we've been smoking cigars and everything else you can kind of look up the you know, ingredients and be like, all right, well, this is it has Nicaragua. This riper, binder, it has, whatever. you know, this combination of binder, filler, you know, and wrapper. And I'm a traditionally a big fan of that. So I'm going to spring toward that, you know. But, you know, if it's a, you know, $100 stick and I'm like, Connecticut. <laughs> huh? Uh-uh. I'm opting out of that. End. You know, that's just not what I'm looking for out of a cigar. No. Uh, and with, uh, so any final thoughts on dragon con? If you haven't been, you must go. And if you have been, hopefully we'll see you next year. Yeah. We're usually there at the phone booth, the uh, Hilton smoking area or the Hyatt smoking area. <laughs> uh, and everywhere between. <laughs> so check us out on cigarnerdpodcast.com. We're on the ESO network at, esonetwork.com we're on facebook instagram twitter at cigar nerd pod we're also on the youtubes uh cigar nerds podcast on youtube get your energy drink at strikeforceenergy.com promo code cigar nerds get your shirts at real men real men smoke cigars.com which i'm lost a bunch of weight so i need to order a few more of those shirts and with that welcome to dragon con This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.